This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So often it seems like stories or trends that are happening everywhere are happening everywhere when they're not. Remember the epidemic, the summer of the shark? Remember that summer where everybody was uh, getting eaten by sharks and sharks were attacking and it was a big deal? Turns out that summer there were actually fewer shark attacks than there were in a typical summer. You remember the supposed epidemic of uh, Americans going to the Dominican Republic or Punta Cana or wherever they would go and they'd get sick and mysteriously die? Well, it turns out that really wasn't true either. So whenever I get the sense that there's a trend, I always want to go ahead and see if it's actually accurate. And good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. And something that has struck me recently, and when I say recently, I want to say over the course of the last five to ten years, something that I found really interesting is when I was growing up, it seemed like there were very few people especially young people, that were autistic. Uh, Maybe it it was a novelty. It was a rare thing. Now, these days, it seems to me that autism is everywhere. And so I said, let me go ahead and do some research and find out if it's actually up or if it's just my perception that autism is up. Sure enough, news story comes out a couple of days ago. One in 30... American children now have autism. Um, The diagnoses of autism is up 52% in the last five years, according to a new study. Now, back in 2012, that's only 10 years ago, uh, the number of autistic young people was 1 in 88. That's only 10 years ago. Back in 2016, it was 1 in 68. And now... In the year 2022, it's one in 30 children. Now, this is a question or a series of questions that you might be, you probably won't be able to answer. But I'm curious if you have a theory about this. In, and you could dial us up at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Do you think that there actually are more autistic young people than there were 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Or is this a reflection of more accurate diagnoses or even maybe false diagnoses as people that are that are autistic? If not, if you do believe these numbers are accurate, what do you think is driving the surge in autism cases in this country? Because this is a huge problem. And it's one that doesn't usually make the front pages. It's one that I don't hear a lot of uh, media commentators and, uh, you know, uh, politicians certainly talking about. But it's something that we're going to have to deal with as a country. I mean, if this trend continues, we're already at one in 30 young people. How much how much worse could it get? I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask the question. But what's it all about, Alfie? Do you buy these numbers? What's behind the cause? What's behind the surge? 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. The prevalence of autism among U.S. children and teenagers is 
on the rise. Researchers estimated that the uh, prevalence of autism spectrum disorder among children and adolescents in this country was 3.14% in 2019, and uh, in 2020, it was up 2.2% from 2014. So it's uh, a real, uh, this in a research letter published in the Journal of American Medicine Pediatrics, they noted several studies show that the rate of U.S. children with autism has increased. This 2020 report says it has some different numbers, but uh, it says that children aged eight years, uh, children aged eight years received a diagnosis. And last December, the estimate in that same age group jumped to one in 44. So this this documentation said it's one in 44. But another study says it's one in 30. Whatever it is. It's a lot, whether it's one in 30 or whether it's one in 44. And the number is heading in the wrong direction. So what do you think is behind this? Let me tell you what's coming up. I'm very excited about the gentleman that's going to join us in about 15 minutes. Micah Chopoli is here. He does this terrific podcast called Let's Be Heard. And he's somebody that has spent most of his life as a progressive. Now he's a libertarian that votes a straight Republican ticket. Why is this the case? How has he transformed He'll tell us. And he, uh, when he was working at WABC 30 years ago, he had the opportunity to work with some of the greats in talk radio. We'll uh, try and get him to share some of his experiences from when he was here as well. But uh, this is a real problem, the surge in autism. And my question is, and I think Larry King's producer said the same thing, the most important question that Larry King ever asked was why. And that's my question. What's behind this? What do you think? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me begin with John in New Jersey. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Um, I actually was thinking about the same exact thing like uh, a few weeks ago. I honestly think it's all the food and chemicals that uh, that we've been eating because all the food and the processed stuff and everything they didn't have that back in the day, and the more the years have gone on. The, the more um, like processed all the foods are, and I think all those chemicals are affecting us. I think that's where the autism is coming from. Well, so you think it's the food. I, I, I have no idea, John, uh, and uh, I don't pretend to have any idea. I'm just curious what people think is behind this, if the number is actually up or it's just a reflection of more accurate diagnosing. A- and if it is up, why? John says it's the food and the chemicals. Maybe. I have no idea. 800-848-9222. Jimmy's in, uh, actually, Abe is in the East Village. Hello, Abe. I'm still in the East Village. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Right here. Um, Frank, I have to say, you know, I never thought I would call. You know, I don't agree with you politically on a lot of things, but I really. Like what? what? What do we disagree on? Oh, you know, just on the analysis. I don't want to go into all that right now. Fair enough. It's too deep a discussion. And um, I wanted to comment about the autism. Okay. My sense of autism is this. And, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I would say it is most of the time I think the analysis is that it's biochemical. Okay. There's a biochemical imbalance, and it starts very early, maybe in the womb. But I would say that it's psychological, social from the family, but the family is affected by the larger cultural dynamics. 
You can't separate the micro and the macro. So the psychological imprinting that's happening in early childhood is the most potent thing that can happen. It's happening all on a non-verbal, energetic level. These things, children, soak in the psychological, energetic dynamics of the family, of the mom and the dad. Everything is coming from there. That's the nonverbal ground. And I would say that when the notion of autism, when people are out, can't make contact, there's something that happens in the psychological environment in the family that is impacting that child, which then impacts the biochemistry, which most psychiatry says is biochemical, and I say they're wrong. So, you know. So, Abe, give me an example of something in a child's psychological development that might lead to uh, autism, well, in your theory. I don't know if there's a way you can say an example. I think you can say that even in the womb, okay, many people have, have been writing about this. There are people that have studied it. There's this guy, Stanislav Grof. Uh, who developed this breath therapy where they literally go back into because everything is there in the body, everything. We don't remember, but it can be brought up. So in the womb also, in the womb there is a dynamic between the mother <laughs> and the, what is being fed into that child in every level that is literally going into the very cells. So whatever is happening psychologically in the mother, in the family, in the relations, get transmitted into that child. Hey, but it's an interesting theory. Uh, I have not heard that before. I'm not sure I'm ready to sign up for that one yet, but it is interesting. It is interesting. This is a show where we like out-of-the-box uh, out thinking. Uh, Jeff is in Manorville. Jeff, I was talking about you with my brother-in-law yesterday because he's a Manorville guy. Uh, he says he still hasn't seen you out there. That's kind of, that's that's kind of funny, huh? <laughs> it is. So, so so did you did you actually go out and come out here? Oh no 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 no! Uh, I, I'm yet to be invited over. Uh, so uh, we we ran into uh, one another at uh, at his sister's house in uh, Tom's River. She had a party for her birthday. Uh, oh, did you did you ask him how, how come you you're not invited? Uh, yes, and uh, and so far I've gotten no answers. So far, no answers. <laughs> that's kind of funny. No, my theory on uh, the autism is back in, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, everybody got married when they were, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And that's when the family started, you know, when you're younger. To me, the problem is now everybody's getting married in their 30s. People having kids in their forties. So that see this I, theory I, I, I have I, I heard. Think, I, I think I think I think it's genetic. So, but do you think it's a result of of genetics or having children later in life? Having children later in life. All right. Well, I uh, I've heard that theory. That's where, that's where, that's where, that's where I think it yeah, is. Yeah, I've heard that from folks. So so far we got the food and the chemicals. We have psychological um, thoughts from Abe. And then the having children later in life, which I have heard from other people as well. What do you think? 800-848-9222. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, you're talking to someone, and you probably wouldn't even guess this, 
who have been diagnosed as adult. Um... Dave, are you there? Da- David? David, call back. I, I-, I can't hear you. Um, Al is here in New York City. Hello, Al. Al. All right. Matt is in Carmel. Hello, Matt. We oh, hey. I understand. We actually have a first-time caller. Uh, Matt, welcome. Yeah. I've listened for a while, and I finally figured I'd give you guys a ring. Wonderful. I'm so pleased so that you did. Got, welcome aboard. I got a theory about the autism. Um, personally, I think that it was a spectrum, right? Right. And I think that we're, we're noticing more people all over the spectrum because we're more aware of it. That's... So, 90% of it. So, uh, now, that's what I wondered if someone was going to say. So do you think there really aren't such a tremendous uptick in autism cases? The same amount of people are autistic that have always been, more or less. We're just better more diagnosing. I think there's definitely more than there has been uh, due to genetic hoopla. I don't really know. I'm trying to restrain my language. Normally, uh, I'm a stagehand, so we, we you know. We have colorful I language. get it. I get it. I appreciate your restraint, unlike Aldamato. <laughs> what can you do? Well, so I, I think that uh, my girlfriend is uh, uh, early childhood education. She she wanted to go into autism and, and, and all that sort of stuff, right? And she she couldn't quite hack it because it was a lot to take home every day. Oh, I can imagine. But, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it, yeah. It's tough to, to deal with, you know, low-functioning people because you want to help them you want to do everything you can but you know what are you going to do right sure. so uh she's noticed trends in in my own life that she's like oh you know you kind of uh you know you might have been diagnosed as autistic if if we went back and did it just because of the, the way that i handle problems or talk to people and this and that and the other so that's kind of where i'm coming from interesting uh, well, that makes sense matt and it's funny I, uh, my ex-girlfriend, she believed that I was on the autism spectrum. I I don't believe that I am, but based on the areas that she has pointed to, I could see where she would say, I don't think, I don't think that's true, but I can understand where she was coming from. Adrian is on the West side. Hello, Adrian. Hi, I guess my theory is, is, well, it's not mine, but it it seemed kind of credible to me. It's really like the food, uh, chemical stuff. It's, uh, the pesticides, uh, there's this researcher from MIT, Stephanie Seneff, and years ago, you know, first I thought she sounded like a little over the top, like uh, about the Roundup, you know, the glyphosate, which is in everything. I mean, it's in everything because you, you don't smell it. It like, was like the perfect chemical mm-hmm. for And she was warning that by 2025, half the kids would have autism and that there'd be a rise in all kinds of manner of neurological diseases, which seems to be happening it could be overdiagnosed but i just remember that she's uh and she's pretty credible so you think it's from chemicals that are in pesticides well specifically glyphosate which is roundup it's it's the the trade name is roundup it's glyphosate and if you look up uh stephanie sen of s-e-n-e-f-f from mit uh she's an interesting uh researcher uh and she was years ago like uh, you know like since 2013, 2014, she's been, uh, this has been her thing about the worry that it would cause autism and, and all manner of neurological problems, but specifically 
uh, the fear was about children and autism. And it seems to be coming out. So she might be a cool guest. Yeah, too. you she's know, really fun to but, listen to. Yeah, she's, so she's at MIT, Stephanie Senev. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, that's actually a great idea. Uh, I will uh, reach out to her. That's that's a good one. Thank you, Adrian. Okay. Let me squeeze in one more here before we get to Micah Chopoli. Uh, and those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, we will get to your calls a little bit later. Kathleen is in Westchester. Hello, Kathleen. Hey, Frankie. Uh, you know what? Um, I've been always thought for a long time now, uh, because there didn't seem to be autism. I'm 64 until thir- Wednesday, and then I'll be 65. Oh. Happy birthday. That, um, there weren't kids really with any of those uh, symptoms when I was young, but there also wasn't a lot of birth control use. And I have to think that there's got to be a connection between the autism and the birth control because the amount of people that have autism compared to before there wasn't birth control pills, I think, is, like, really big. That is so interesting. I have never heard that. I wonder if there's any correlation in in people that might have studied that. Thank you for that, Kathleen, and happy birthday. That's interesting. Now, I'll I'll end this portion of the conversation. And like I said, those of you that are holding, if you want to continue to hold, we'll get to you. But I'll end this conversation where I began it, which is we're not going to solve this. But I'm curious what people think about this. To me, this is one of the biggest issues in the country right now. And I don't feel like you're hearing about it at all. Uh, Coming up, uh, we're going to do a uh, retrospective on the life and times of Tony Sirico. Uh, We're going to be doing commendations. And we're going to take a look at um, if we were writing the Constitution, what we would do differently. Uh, We'll do that at 2 o'clock. Got some UFO news, some alien stuff, some cool stuff. And coming up in a moment, Mike Acciapelli is here. He is a former progressive turned libertarian, former WABC alumnus, and now he's doing this great a podcast called Let's Be Heard. We will be heard straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Sinatra singing Nancy. Uh, this it was a song. This song was a favorite of Paulie Walnuts on The Sopranos. The character. I don't know if the real life Tony Sirico uh, was as big a fan as Paulie was uh, of it on The Sopranos, but chances are pretty good that he was. I am just thrilled to be able to meet and in person a fellow that I have known of and uh, admired for. Many years, uh, Mike Gacciapelli is the uh, a former progressive turned libertarian, former WABC studio director, and now the host of the brand new podcast. It's got three words. Those of you that are Bob Grant fans will appreciate them. Let's be heard. Mike, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Frank. I have to correct you. It actually has four words. It's and let's be heard. If you remember, oh, Bob, <laughs> Bob is the only one right. which made it unique to him. Remember, and let's be heard. That's, what that's right. So, yeah, that's it's right. close, though. That's yeah. pretty, a pretty good Bob Grant uh, impersonation. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. I, I, I can imagine. Now, when did you yeah. first start listening to Bob? 
You know, I, I was listening to ABC like in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. I was like 16, 17, and I was really into sports. Back then I was more of sports than politics. So I was listening to, you know, who they have back then, Aris Jr., Steve Malzberg doing sports. And, and they carried the Yankees. And obviously. they carried the Yankee games. So I used to watch, listen to every Yankee game on, the, on ABC. And uh, then I started to work in college radio in Staten Island. I went to City University of Staten Island. CSI. CSI. Great. Yeah. And uh, I started working in their radio station. And I said, you know what? I want to – let me see if I can be an intern at ABC. It was like a – it's crazy. One day – it's like – I don't know if it works like this anymore, but I just simply called. And I said, do you guys need an intern? And they said, yeah, Steve Molesberg in the sports department needs an intern. I said, okay. He said, they said, come in. We'll interview you. And I came in. Within five minutes, I got the gig. And this was 1990, and I was 18 years old. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I just started working. At that time, Steve has started doing the pre- and post-game shows mm-hmm. for the Yankee I remember that. broadcast. Yeah. And so every here I'm an 18-year-old Yankee fan, radio fan, sports fan, going to Yankee Stadium every game. And Steve was great. He let me do interviews. He just let do what you want to do. I used to sit there in a the manager's office doing interviews at 18 years old. And then um, how did you make the transition from interning to working at the radio station? Interned for that year, for, the, for that year, for six months. And, uh, and then I left. And about maybe March of 91, I got a call. From ABC, and uh, was, I was the program director John Minnelli at the time? Uh, it was a uh, no, it wasn't John yet. John had come and gone. You uh-huh. know that whole thing. So back it was and forth. Valerie Geller, Valerie Geller right? It. And uh, and Jay Diamond, who I had met in 1990, remember Jay Diamond before he did a show was doing board operating right, and screening, right. and we became good friends. And uh, he needed a uh, studio director. So they called, and I said, I'll take the job, and that's how it all started. That is pretty neat. So you yeah. enjoyed working with Malsberg as an intern and doing the sports, uh, the kind of thing. With yeah, him. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was one of the, 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 the greatest but toughest internships. I mean, I worked every Yankee game. We worked in, you know, either home games or road games in the studio. So I was there basically for six months straight. Wow. Hardly a day off. And then how, um, mm. when did you leave WABC? Uh, late 96. 96. So you were there for the whole tenure of the Curtis and Lisa Sliwa morning show. That's what happened. Jay had started the morning show, then Curtis and Lisa took over the morning show. So I started, so I worked on Curtis and Lisa's show. And then Curtis and Lisa, you know, another thing I, I was into was film. We can talk about Tony Sirico sure, in a minute. Sure. I interviewed Tony Sirico. Oh, I do want to hear about <laughs> yeah. that. But um, so I was into film and I'm like, uh, can I... Can I do film reviews on your show? And Curtis and Lee said, sure, do them every Friday. So that was doing that. So that was, you know, studio director, and I was doing film reviews on their show every Friday. Um, and I, then I started. Uh, but Man- you did film reviews on Jay's show as well, later. right? Later. Yeah, later, okay. yeah. Because John Manelli had said, you know what, Mike? Well, I want you to work on Bob's show. Bob needed a screener, mm-hmm. a new screener. And he said, I'm going to put you on. Because in the morning show, the way it was designed was it was so strict. It was. There weren't as many calls as Bob used to take. You know, Bob used to take constant. That was the whole show. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So John said, we're going to make you work. We're going to put you on and make you be a real call screener. I said, okay, sure. And that's how I... And I worked with Bob from 91 until he left in 96. Now, um, it's funny. uh, You you may have heard this, but about uh, five or six months ago... Uh, someone called in on uh, on a Friday and said, what was the name of that producer that used to do the film reviews for Jay Diamond? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked Jay, <laughs> and I thought it was you, and he says, I think he's talking about Mike Acciapelli. Yeah, well, what, uh, Jay, then I, after I stopped doing the reviews on Curtis and Lisa show and I was doing Bob's show, Jay had me come on every Friday, and that was for years. I would, I would come on on Fridays at the end of his show and do like five minutes of film reviews. Have you ever seen or experienced a talk talent like Jay Diamond? <laughs> <laughs> no. He, he's got to be. I, I think he's one of the most talented people Absolutely. ever to speak into a microphone. And you have to remember, he had done, I mean, he was like green at that point, And they mm-hmm. put him on the morning show. 
you know, which was which was tough. It was a tough gig for someone who hadn't done any real radio before then. And he was fantastic. He was a professional from day one. From day one. And he learned from Bob. You know, yeah. you know it's Bob. funny. I discovered on YouTube the other day, and I'd never heard this before, and I don't remember it, uh, an interview that uh, Jay, who, you know, especially at that time, was very critical of uh, Al Sharpton and a lot of the, um, you know, people that were heavily focused on yeah. race in, uh, in the country at the time. And he did this interview with uh, Jesse Jackson. And clearly, you know, they disagree on a whole host of issues from affirmative action to several others. Uh, but um, I thought this was such an interesting interview. Were you with uh, Jay at that time? I was. Remember, I, what I was doing was the film reviews on Friday. That show was not on a Friday. I gotcha. can remember, actually, believe it or not, listening at home to that show because Jay told me. Right. I'm going to be interviewing Jesse Jackson. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to listen to this. And I listened to the whole thing. And uh, he seemed to, Jesse Jackson seemed to kind of win Jay over a little bit in that interview. Maybe not in terms of the issues, but as a personality. And they actually had a good rapport, and it was yeah. friendly. It was. It, That's what, the kind what, of thing you're missing these days. And what was the line Jesse Jackson used at the You know, end? Jay just told me about this yesterday <laughs> yeah. uh, because I sent him this, this interview. But it was uh, – they, they said, I hope we could do this again soon. And then he said something like, um, you, you got a deal, McNeil. Yeah, it's, something. A, yeah. And, it's a deal, McNeil. When Jay said something like, Are you gonna, will you come on again in the future? And Jesse Jackson said, yeah, it's a deal, McNeil. And it was just like a, a, an incredible moment because you have to remember in the 90s in New York – there was a lot of oh, yeah. problems with crime and race and the race issues. Yeah, it sounds was, a lot like New York of 2022. Uh, ex- exactly. It's come around again. Um, the Being at that station at that time, you got to see the dissolution of not only an on-air partnership but a marriage with Curtis and Lisa. What was it like working with them and being around them when their marriage is falling apart, essentially live on the air? In some ways, it's kind of the first reality show. Frank, you have to remember, that was a crazy time. Curtis got shot I, oh, during that time, <laughs> too. Remember. And I remember being there. I mean, I was, I was working on the you show. You ask Curtis what time it is. He reminds you that he's gotten got shot. Yeah, and yeah. It, was, it, was, it was dramatic because, you know, doing, I come in and do the show, as I do every morning, and they say Curtis was shot. And I'm like, what? What are you kidding? And it was, that was an incredible time. It was just an incredible time to be in this business in this city. But that was a great, you know, that was a, for a young kid, 19 years old at the time. Basically, my first job in radio. Mm. Um, it was it was very exciting. Uh, Chuck with Mike Acciapelli. He is the uh, he is a former progressive turned libertarian. These days, he's the host of a new podcast called "And Let's Be Heard." How do people get that? And let's it's be heard. A, I, I believe it's a fairly new network. I'm not sure. It's called callin.com. Mm-hmm. So and they a lot find of, it through there. And a lot of people have uh, podcasts on there, from Glenn Greenwald to Jimmy Dore. So everything you know, this podcast thing is becoming very big. Absolutely, you know. that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of great podcasts at uh, wabcradio.com as well. The People should uh, be sure to check out. Um, tell me about your political journey from progressive to libertarian who seems to pretty much vote Republican these days. What 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 caused you to shift from left to right? Well, let's start with actually working on Bob's show. So here I am in, uh, you know, 1992 working on Bob's show. And, you know, Bob was incredibly conservative. Mm. You know, and there I would I would come in as a young, you know, maybe 21 year old with my uh, Clinton Gore 92 pin on. And I remember Bob saying, hey, you're a callow youth. You'll change as you get older. And I said, oh, Bob, stop. Everyone says that. It's not going to happen. Well, 50 years later, well, 50 <laughs> years old now, I guess 20 years later, um, I, I was a real establishment Democrat, right? I was a Clinton guy um, and uh, Hillary Clinton, all of them. And then I think what happened was Bernie Sanders really changed my mind as far as the establishment Democrat regime goes. And in 2015, I became a, a fan of, of Bernie Sanders and, you know, the progressives. 
And I voted for Bernie Sanders twice. I mean, I, I campaigned for him hard. I, I gave him money in 2016 and 2020. So I was a real progressive. Absolutely. yeah. A real progressive, really believing in Bernie's campaign. And I think what happened over the last two and a half years, as I was just talking about in your green room, is that the wokeness, this woke agenda, and I think Bill Maher has talked about mm. this too, this lack of common sense in the Democratic Party. Um, and I think there was a, a one-two punch combo of Trump and covid that totally destroyed the Democratic brain, if you will. Um, and you know where they cannot get over this, I like to say, Trump derangement syndrome, where everything comes back to Trump. And if you disagree with them on anything, and like the old days, where you could, you know, you could discuss things, and, and if you disagreed, it was fine. Now it's you're canceled, you're out, I don't want to talk to you, you're a Trump supporter, you're a white supremacist. It's almost just to end the conversation. And I think the, the, the Democratic hypocrisy, where, you know, I live in California, so I'm dealing with, you know, the mayor, London Breed. I'm dealing with Nancy Pelosi. Right, sure. I'm dealing with Gavin Newsom, where they say, you know, wear a mask, shut your business down. There he is going to the French laundry, eating with 30 friends, no mask on. And this was constant, as you know, this hypocrisy from the Democrats during COVID. Whereas, you know, uh, do as we say, not as we do. Basically, now, If you're somebody that has spent the bulk of your political adulthood as a progressive, you know, chances are, you know, you're pretty, especially if you were donating to Bernie Sanders as recently as two years ago, chances are, you know, on issues like health care, taxes, uh, a, a bunch of key economic issues, uh, issues related to labor and the workplace, you would have a traditionally left wing position. Even if you get upset about, uh, you know, Democrats trying to cancel Thomas Jefferson and take Woodrow Wilson's name off everything and uh, tear down all the Theodore Roosevelt statues. And everyone, I think, sees how silly that stuff is. Wouldn't voting Republican kind of put all those issues that you worked your whole life for or and voted towards your whole life? Wouldn't that put all those issues in jeopardy? I don't know. You know, I, I've, I've stated on my podcast is almost like a almost like a coming out for me. You know, I feel so passionate now. Uh-huh. I've always been passionate about politics, always. But I, I think now it's almost like I've discovered that maybe I was always a certain way. I never knew it. Or maybe the party was a certain way. I never wanted to admit it. But I think it was the idea of big government. You know, where at, at one point in my life, I thought, oh, big government can help you. You know, big co- government's here to help you. And I think over the last two and a half years, my, my worldview on that has changed mm. to where it's basically just all about control. We want to control you. We want to control what you have to do. If we tell you wear a mask, you wear a mask. We tell you shut down your business, you shut down your business. doesn't matter. We don't have to show you facts. We don't have to show you any evidence that this stuff works, that we need to do this stuff. And so I think I have really learned. And also with the Second Amendment. I used to be totally against the Second Amendment, Frank. I used to be totally against it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. And now I realize that that's a big reason why the government can't do here what they do mm. in places like China, where they lock you in your building. It's just the, the deterrent of not knowing if someone can defend themselves or not in the founding fathers. That was the kind of the idea, right? Uh, (laughs) That is indeed. We're talking with uh, Mike Cacciopoli. He is a former progressive turned libertarian. You can check out his podcast and Let's Be Heard. Now, I remember, I want to say 04, 05-ish, you actually ran for Congress in Arizona, right? You've done your research, right? Well, I remember that at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember yeah, that I at the time. Yeah. And you ran as a you know traditional Democrat. liberal Democrat. And I was. And I was. was, um, this was yeah. But then why, when you, you lost the election, you moved right out of Arizona? Why, well, you know everything. This is frightening. Yeah, well, I, I did. Well, I left Arizona right away. Um, I just felt my time there was done. Mm-hmm. You know, Let me give you a little background there. Um, surprised. I, that might have been the first time I soured on the Democratic Party, because here I was. 
Just a guy who, you know, didn't have any money behind me, wasn't a you know, self-made millionaire where I could put $2 million of my own money into a campaign, which is really what you have to do I to know. win these days. Yeah. And um, I was in this primary with one of the person, and that person dropped out, and it was just me. I said, wow, this is great. Now I'm going to – and the, the incumbent at the time was Rick Renzi, who was incredibly corrupt. And in fact, after he won re-election six months later, there were like 40 counts. Yeah, I remember time. that. Yeah. Right. So no one believed me anyway. So <laughs> – um, and, and what happened was the Democratic Party, because I was a nobody, because I didn't have a big name and have a lot of money, they automatically put someone in there who was a millionaire who threw a, a million of her own money into that. But don't you think the Republicans do that? They as do well? it absolutely. I, mean, I think both parties are just as interested in finding absolutely well financed. But it seems like the Democrats are doing that more now, especially with the Green Party, where mm-hmm. they try to block them. Oh yeah, well you know, you're seeing that being, here in New York. Yes, uh, as well. Right. And so that I really soured at that point towards. I guess running for office. I was like, you know, I put 15 months of my time into it. And unlike a district in New York City or a district in San Francisco, we're talking two-thirds of the state of Arizona. So here I'm driving around 500 miles for 15 months, putting everything into it uh, for the Democrats just to say, you know what, you're a nobody. We don't want you running. What made you move out west initially? Uh, What happened? Let's see. Well, I guess I had, you know, New York City has been a couple, it was very expensive, you know, and uh, I had, I guess, tired of the East Coast a little bit. And I wanted to try the West Coast. I had a friend who lived in Seattle at the time mm-hmm. and said, why don't you come out here and see what it's like? So I was living in Seattle for a while. Actually, I left out a whole chunk of my life in Las Vegas where I was on the radio in Vegas. I know. That's yeah. where I interviewed Tony Sirico when I was on KXNT. I had left ABC. And about a month after I left ABC, I got the job in, in KXNT in Las We're Vegas. We're being heard now, by the way, in the, on the Nevada Talk Network. Is that right? Four yes. or five great stations in Nevada. And so. KXNT was kind of new at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a job there as the producer for the afternoon drive show, and I was doing that for a while. And they were having a problem with their morning show. It wasn't. It was a. There was a man who was on ABC named Dave Dawson. Do you remember mm-hmm. Dave sure. Dawson? Sure, absolutely. And he he went out to. This was, was later in his career on Las Vegas radio. He wasn't really cutting it, and they wanted me to go on with him to bring a different perspective, more energy. So I did that, and I did that for a while. And then another guy took over, and I co-hosted the morning show for about four or five months. Um, so it was a great experience in Vegas because unlike in New York, I was able to do, you know, real on-air stuff and do a morning show. I had a weekend entertainment show. Cool. That's where Sirico comes into it. And so that's what I was doing. I was doing radio in Vegas. And Vegas was really building up at that time. So it was a decent market, mm-hmm. you know, to be in. Um, and then I, I had left that job and, and came back to New York, did a little bit of radio producing here and there. And then I kind of, you know... I, I don't want to seem cynical, and I soured on the business because when I started in radio, it, it, it seemed like it was all about the creativity. And then, of course, Disney took over, mm. and it became much more corporate, you know, and I, I, I kind of soured on, on that corporate sure. mentality. Oh, absolutely. You know, just to be honest about it, you know. No, I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, how is New York different now uh, when, as opposed to when you moved out of here, when you left? Or oh, how is it the same? Boy, New York now? Uh, I've... It's like San Francisco. I mean, it's it's going downhill. You know, we, we I have fought to try to change things in San Francisco. I was even thinking, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, running for mayor of San Francisco at one point. But it's just the voters in, in California and the voters in New York are just deep blue Democrats. And it's really tough. I have friends here um, who complain about the crime all the time. They complained about de Blasio. They hated him. They hate Adams now. His approval is, what, 25 in the last poll? Mm-hmm. And I said, but you keep voting for these people. You have a guy here, Curtis, who they could have voted for, right? 
But no, he's a good Republican, so forget it. We can't. We can't. We yeah, can't well, that's why I've always been a big believer in nonpartisan elections, really, for all all municipalities. Because uh, you're right, people do get uh, blinded by the stigma of uh, one party or another. Well, it's like a cult, yeah, like exactly. a cult mentality. Exactly. I saw. Uh, I listened to your most recent uh, podcast, and let's be heard, in which you focus on the case of Jose Alba, this uh, yeah. bodega owner right. that's being prosecuted for murder in what a lot of people believe was a self-defense incident. Eric Adams has come out and spoken in his defense. The Democratic district attorney in Richmond County, um, he's saying that this wouldn't be a prosecution if it happened in Staten Island. Um, Give me your take on this uh, situation here. Uh, it, it just drives me crazy. I mean, you have Alvin Bragg, a guy who won. We, we, you know, we got rid of Chesabudin, as you know, in mm-hmm. San Francisco. We kicked him out, which is an amazing feat to kick out a, a liberal district attorney in San Francisco. But that shows you how bad things have gotten, that the crime has now gone into those white liberal areas now where they're saying, oh, no, now the crime's in our area. We have to do something about this, right? And so you have Alvin Bragg, who won't prosecute criminals, right, who will let criminals out. Um, with no bail and light sentences, and then you have a guy here who defends himself. It's obviously self-defense. Now, my question is, maybe you have an answer here. Did the police and the DA at first not look at that video that the rest of us have seen? I've seen the, the real three-minute video right. on Twitter. Yeah, no, they, I know, they, they well. stop on, on TV mm-hmm. on the knife. And I'm thinking, if you watch that, how would you charge this yeah, guy? It's, it really is amazing. It really is uh, absolutely amazing. But this is part of what has made me change, you mm-hmm. see, Frank. Understood. This is, well, you have to sort of be able to look at things in life, even at 50 years old, and say, something's not right here, right? Something's not right. There is a party that's of, of no common sense, of extreme wokeness, of the political correctness, to the point where only thing that matters for them is their narrative. You know, what struck me... I mean, this has struck me a number of times over the years, but in 2016, you had Trump and and Sanders both running for president in their respective parties. Their messaging was heavily anti-establishment. Both of them uh, were very critical of uh, reckless free trade. Both of them were very critical of these never-ending foreign wars in the Middle East. Uh, Both of them uh, did things like call for common-sense reforms, like uh, allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices, which they're actually prohibited from doing by law. Uh, And, uh, you know, obviously there's a significant difference on immigration. But you really could see how they were saying a lot of the same things. They were the only two major candidates to be opposed to the TPP at that point. Do you see a scenario in which we could be seeing, and I think you see it to some extent on the Ukraine issue right now, but do you see a scenario where we could be seeing a political realignment happening in this country where you have folks on the far left who might be supportive of Bernie Sanders and folks on the far right who might be supportive of Donald Trump kind of working together on a whole host of of policy initiatives? It's very possible. And, you know, there were plenty of people when it was Trump and Bernie, right, that were saying they're very much alike. And remember, you had progressives saying, no, he's nothing like Donald Trump. And I tried to explain, we're not really talking necessarily about policy, but we're talking about Uh anti-establishment. There were people who were tired of the Clinton-Obama regime, right? And that took them to Bernie Sanders. And there were people who were tired of the Bush-Cheney regime that took them to Donald Trump. They They want politicians who actually speak in a blatant, you know, no BS manner to them. And I think that's what appealed to both sides of the political spectrum. Although I am not one of those people who think Donald Trump is an extreme right winger. Okay, I don't. I don't really. Well, I don't. I, I don't really fall for that. Yeah, that he's an I, extreme right guy. Well, I think a lot of his supporters might be. Might be. Uh, sure. But, uh, tell me about and let's be heard. If people are considering listening to the podcast, what are they going to hear on it? 
Well, you know, uh, unlike uh, terrestrial radio and podcasts, you can curse. You can really, you know, and you I, let loose. I let loose, and I do let loose on podcasts. Um, and I, I think it's, I like the angle of, you know, I'm a guy from New York. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I lived on, like you, I live on Staten Island for 20 years. And I have a, a particular political view that I think is pretty well-rounded because I'm not one of those people that just watched Fox all my life or just watched MSNBC mm-hmm. all my life. I've watched years of CNN. I've watched years of MSNBC. Now I've watched years of Fox, especially over the last three years. And I think I have a, 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 I can actually say that it's almost like when people criticize a film they haven't seen, you know, right. they didn't protest it. But you say, have you seen it? No, we haven't seen it. It's just we've heard about it. Well, you know, it's what people have heard about Tucker Carlson. It's what people have heard about Brian right, Kilmeade. Buchanan, yeah, right. and they, but they never actually listen to them, you know. Uh, and so I think, I think that I bring that perspective and, of course, the perspective of someone who's really changed Politically, why did you choose to name it as a tribute to Bob and Let's Be Heard? Because I learned so much from Bob. I mean, I really did. I mean, I learned a lot from working at WABC. Give in the folks 90s. a sample. If 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 there was a caller uh, that was surly with Bob or critical of him, either for his opinions or for you know his uh, his hair or anything at all, how would Bob react? Uh, hey, pal. You know, he would say something like, you know, and of course, you know, Bob's signature line of get off my phone, you gavone, you know. So and it's it's, it's that kind of uh, radio I think people loved. I mean, people love that. They loved it. Bob had we had a promo for Bob, which was I love Bob and I hate Bob. Right. <laughs> and I think that really described it. And it's same thing with like how it's turned back in the day where people listen because they loved him and listen because they hated him. Uh, real quick. Tell me about your experience with Tony Sirico. Well. When I was in Las Vegas radio, I, I, I have a family member who's uh, friendly with someone who knows Tony, and he got me Tony. This was before The Sopranos. This is about a year before. Really? year before he was cast. He had done a lot of the you know sure. bit roles in right. mafia movies, yeah. usually playing mafia he guys. He did Goodfellas. He had been in Gotti, I think. Absolutely. So I had him on, and I remember doing a you know, pre-interview call with him, just setting it up. And he said, Mike, uh, I'm going to be on the show for an hour? I said, yeah, we'll do the full hour. He goes, can't promise you I'm not going to curse. <laughs> he said, my curse. I said, Tony, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll deal with it. And the pro he was never cursed once for the entire hour. And he told me this great story, which I'm sure you've heard, where, you know, he was in jail. He worked for the Colombo family. Mm-hmm. He went to jail and an acting troupe came in. And that's how he got the acting bug. It's amazing. In jail. It's a tremendous, yeah. tremendous story. Micah Chopoli, uh, best of luck with the podcast. It is called Let's Be Heard. Check it out wherever podcasts are available or just go to callin.com and uh, you could just search uh, and Let's Be Heard. You'll find it on there. Next time you're in town, you got to come by. I will. An open Absolutely. Invitation. Of course. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. 
Well, it kills me to do it uh, because I like to be critical and pretend that I'm joking about uh, everybody that works on our show. But I, I must say this is the uh, second or third full uh, full day of um, Kenneth, who informed me that I could call him Kenny, and I have chosen not to do that. Uh, this is the second or third uh, day of him uh, acting as our telephone talent coordinator, and I have not had to tell one caller to turn their radio off. So he's already off to a, a much better start than uh, several of other other telephone talent coordinators. How are you enjoying uh, working on this program, Kenneth? Can we turn Kenneth's uh, mic on? Working with you, Frank. There you go. Uh, go repeat. It sounded like you were saying something complimentary, so please repeat it. I said it's a pleasure to be working with you, Frank, and uh, I love the show. How are you uh, adjusting to these hours? These hours are quite a challenge, aren't they? They are, they are, but hey, it's it's show business. Show must go on. That it, that it does. Are you learning anything from uh, Broadway Bill Lee or uh, or Alex? Yeah, the both of them. They're uh, they've been huge mentors for me so far. So. Well, that's a sad. Situation. I'm having fun. I'm having um, fun. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from either of these gentlemen? Uh, is that you got to be able to multitask. Probably. There you go. That's that's see. That's a good lesson. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. All right. Um, we're going to take your calls in a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I um, you know, it's funny. I. Friday, before we left for Atlantic City, I stopped in over at my Aunt Camille's. She had prepared a fresh batch of egg salad. And I'm wondering, is it okay? You know, if I'm getting it Friday and we leave town, we're not going to be home Friday night, not going to be home Saturday, not going to be home until Sunday night. Is it okay to leave it there for three days and then bring it to work on Monday to feed everybody? And my, th- what I came up with was, yes, it was. And then, sure enough, I forgot it. I forgot the egg salad at home. So I'm going to bring it in tomorrow. But by that point, it will be Thursday, I think it was made, maybe Friday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It'll be five-day-old egg salad by the time I bring it in Monday evening. So people can eat it at their own risk. I'll put a Post-it note on there, put it the born-on date. I still think it's good, though. I think it'll be okay to eat. So welcome to Kenneth. May uh, may he make the most of this experience. 800-848-9222. Hey, if you're just tuning in, I started the show by talking about autism. And depending on what statistic you look at, there are now either 1 in 30 or 1 in 44 autistic children and teenagers. And this is an incredible uptick. So basically, I was just asking the question is why? Are these real numbers? Does this just reflect a better diagnosis? Or are more people really autistic than were 10 years ago and 20 years ago as a percentage? And uh, David had uh, called in from the Bronx, but his phone was a little screwed up. David, hello. Hey, uh, hopefully I sound better now. Great. You sound great. Um, all right. Yeah, I wasn't diagnosed until a few years ago, so I've uh, been autistic my entire life and didn't even know it. Um, my mom said something to me before she died about me never smiling as a child. Plus, I was never very sociable and stuff like that. But on the other hand, you know, I was a voracious reader and always good in history and politics. So, you know, I'd say it's panned out pretty well. But as far as why. I don't think we'll ever really know why, but I'll say this. Growing up in the 70s and the 80s, there was no screening like what they do now. I think we've gotten so much better at defining what autism actually is because when I was growing up, 
you know, there were a couple of kids that were kind of strange, and, and they said that was autism. But, I mean, that was not the common thing, and no one diagnosed them. I, that's what's happening. It's being diagnosed. I mean, some woman mentioned that we kill a Roundup. That wasn't around in the 70s. It's not Roundup. It's not vaccines. It's the fact that we've gotten so much better at picking out children that are not socially adaptable as the majority of people are. Interesting. Really is. Interesting. Well, David, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, just one last thing. And I don't believe you're on the spectrum. I don't know what your ex was talking about because you have a lot of friends and you seem to have a very uh, extensive social life, which would be very unusual. Right. That, and that's that's one of the spectrum. key reasons that I don't think that's the case. We don't have a lot of time here, Dave, but let me ask your opinion. Like somebody like you, what you describe uh, obviously, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever met you in person, but I've interacted with you uh, a number of times over the years and heard you on a bunch of other shows. And, you know, you are very well informed on a whole host of issues. I would think if you have anything that's, uh, you know, like the on the autism spectrum, it's something like Asperger's, whereas I meet some autistic children and they're almost completely nonverbal. They're almost, uh, you know, very severely autistic, unable to to speak. Is it a problem that you're being diagnosed as the same thing as someone who is so, you know, affected by autism that they can't communicate? Right. Well, see, that's why we use the term spectrum now, uh-huh. because there is a wide spectrum. There's people like that that are barely functional. And then there's people that are highly functional. There are doctors and lawyers and politicians that are on the spectrum. Remember when I recommended a show to you on Twitter? It's called Doc Martin. It's a British show. Uh, yeah, I, the, vaguely, the main char- vaguely. The main character is, a, is a, a, a doctor who's very accomplished, but he has no sh- social skills, and it's because he's on the spectrum. That's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a wide spectrum. So it could be almost anything. You know. it, that it could be. Thank you, David. Appreciate the call. 800-848-9222. Jimmy in Queens has been patiently holding. Hello, Jimmy. Hey, Frank. Big fan. Thanks. I'm, I was a, a big fan of The Sopranos and um, Tony Scirocco. He was a, he had a little part in Goodfellas, you know, too, the beginning. Yeah, he's also uh, actually an uncredited extra in The Godfather Part Two as well. Yeah, he was a funny character. That he was. I, I, I want to just ask you a question. How, how come you honor, like, uh, Italian-American gangsters so much? How come I honor them? Yeah, how how come you honor them and, like, dedicate your shows to them? Well, actually, we don't talk about the mob really at, the end, at all I mean, on this At the show. end of the day, they're, you know, murderer, tax evading. Well, I mean, that's that's all kind of a— You don't have Af- African-American um, gangsters on. Well, uh, like, who, for instance, do you take issue with? Like, what do you mean, who? Well, like, who have I honored, in your view, on the radio? Tony Scirocco. Tony Sirico, you're to right. Your Sirico, you're about to honor him today. Well, we're not going to honor him. We're going to talk about the good, the no, bad. The Gotti, Ju- Junior. Yeah, well, well so in the case did. of he, he broke a guy's face right. in a, a, a great Jimmy at a club I was at. Jimmy, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm glad it wasn't yours. Whole face, Jimmy. Uh, the I'm I'm just ending the call not because I'm afraid of tough questions, but because we're out of time now. I think that John Gotti Jr. is a real success story. The fact that he went to prison, served his time, and then by all accounts, after going on trial four times, um, still the government got no convictions. 
and he's totally turned his life around. Nobody thinks he's still in the mob. So, I mean, to me, that's like almost like a Michael Corleone gone right. So that's my take on John. I'm happy to talk about others specifically. To be continued. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. On uh, Fridays, we do an interesting hour on this show. We do Ask Frank Anything, and I really love it because you really don't know what to expect. People could ask questions about anything. And Neil, who's a regular caller to our show, asked a very, very interesting question. And I have to say, and this is how I know questions are interesting, because I spent the whole rest of the weekend thinking about it and trying to come up with a better answer than the one that I ultimately stumbled to come up with. Just to take you back in time, this is what uh, this is the question that Neil asked me and the question I'm going to ask you in a moment. You go back in time and you meet with the founding fathers after they've written the Constitution, but before it's ratified. When you look at it, what do you say to them? Do you add anything? Do you delete anything? Or do you modify anything? Yeah, okay. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, So it's also interesting because there's this whole movement now, and we've talked about it on this show before, to have a new constitutional convention and more and more states, basically an Article 5 convention or a convention of the states, more and more states are adopting this call for an Article 5 convention. We're a ways away from it happening. Now, if that happens, then they could come up with whatever they want and then ultimately make their proposals and the public is going to have to adopt it. Now, my question for you is, Let's say there was going to be a new constitutional convention, an Article 5 convention, convention of the states. Let's say. How would you change the Constitution? I made a couple of uh, I made a couple of ideas, and I don't think we need to. And because one of the problems in New York state is that they put so much stuff in the state constitution that really should be done legislatively. But uh, I would I think there are a number of changes that could make this country a better place and make it work better. I'm going to give you mine, but I'd like to hear yours. You're a delegate to a new constitutional convention in the year 2022. Knowing everything that's occurred over the course of the last, you know, uh, two centuries, what do you change? What do you fix? What do you keep? You have the prism of hindsight now. You can make one amendment or 30. What are yours? 800-848-9222. How would you change the Constitution? That's the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. So I, I've come up with 10 changes that I'd like to make. Maybe I would come up with more if I thought about it more. One is clarification of judicial review. Right now, there's nothing in the Supreme in the Constitution that mentions anything having to do with the Supreme Court being able to nullify laws. There ought to be some clarification. 
and we can discuss what the best way is. For instance, maybe you make it so that um, uh, it's not just a simple majority that gets to nullify laws, but it's a uh, it's got to be a nine nine to nothing. Let's say to nullify laws. Maybe you make it. I'm just saying, putting that out there. The bottom line is there ought to be some clarification of who has the ability to nullify laws. And if a um, law does get nullified by the Supreme Court, whether it's a state law or a federal law, some opportunity to repair that or answer back the Supreme Court. The other one, and I I know because there's been so much news with respect to the Supreme Court lately, this stuff is kind of on my brain. But the other one that I think is interesting is, and I've talked about this before, is no life tenure for the Supreme Court. Uh, I think life tenure is a big problem, and I would love to see a 15-year fixed term. And you can't serve for more than 15 years. You get paid for life. No president can fire you. 15-year fixed term. You could be impeached for cause. And then after that, after your time on the Supreme Court, if you want to hop the circuit, you can do that. But your days as a Supreme Court, over. 15-year fixed term. Done. Then, this I did think to mention on Friday. Right now, we have each state gets two senators, and most of what these senators do is fight for the interests of their state and their constituents, and that's great. That's what you want. I think it would be so interesting if every living former president was a senator at large, national senator at large representing the whole country for the rest of their days. For the rest of their days, they get a vote in the United States Senate. That's it. That's it. No special powers. They're no better or worse than any other senator. I think that would um, I, I think that would be really interesting. Italy does something similar to that, and I like that idea. The other one, and we just went through this process in New York and North Carolina and Florida, it ought to be mandated in the U.S. Constitution that there should be nonpartisan redistricting. This battle over gerrymandering every 10 years at the state level and at the congressional level, meaning the state legislative level and the congressional level, it does no one any good. It makes no sense. Uh, It's undemocratic and it's unfair. So as far as I'm concerned, I'd love to see nonpartisan redistricting. One of the things that we don't have, and people started talking about this 20 years ago when the Pentagon was attacked and the World Trade Center was attacked, is right now there's no mechanism for replacing members of Congress in the event of an emergency. Let's say Congress is bombed, right? Senators can be replaced by the governors of their state. I think it probably makes sense to have a mechanism for, in the event of an emergency, incapacitation or death of a a member of the House, that there's some mechanism to replace them, at least temporarily, until a new member is elected and seated. Uh, maybe it's a governor that gets to make the appointment. Maybe it's the uh, the other members of that state's congressional delegation. I don't know. But there ought to be some mechanism for replacing dead members of the House of Representatives. Some, something that I've always been in favor of, and I've agreed with Democratic presidents and Republican presidents that have proposed this, the line item veto. President ought to be given the power for the line item veto. He ought to be able to veto certain parts of a bill. Absolutely, 100%. I know the Supreme Court has found that unconstitutional, but that goes to point one about clarification of judicial review. Then, I really think there ought to be some change to the Electoral College. Now, I'm not, I don't know if it ought to be abolished 
in its entirety, but there ought to be some sort of a change to the Electoral College. I really think this system where the person that doesn't get the most votes can have a good shot at winning the election, it makes no sense. Not another democratic country in the world does this. So there ought to be some changes, even if it's preserved in some form. Maybe it's done by congressional district. Maybe it's done by um, maybe it's done by uh, proportional electoral college voting. I don't know, but I think there ought to be a change. And uh, lastly, and I just thought of one other one. Now I'll make this my last one. Lastly, this is going to be very controversial. There ought to be a national referendum law, uh, a constitutional right for the people to pass legislation. A lot of states have this. California has it. Arizona has it. Um, A number of states have it. We deserve, as Americans, the right to make laws through a national referendum process. In Arizona, you get enough signatures, you're able to put a question on the ballot. And then if it gets the most votes, it's the law. Simple as that. California, same thing. The United States government doesn't have any mechanism for doing that. But I'd rather hear your suggestions. We're writing a new constitution. What's in it? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. There's one, two, three, four, five, six open lines. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Al in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Uh, see, Al, you, you ruined you ruined right. Kenneth's streak. He, uh, he I complimented him that nobody had left their radio on, and you you, you burst his bubble. I guess it's my fault for mentioning it. Oh, sorry, but uh, thanks, Frank. Uh, thanks for taking my call, sure. Frank. You know, I just wanted to say, in regards to uh, having another uh, convention, a constitutional convention, uh, to make changes. You know, I disagree with you in the point. I, I probably would I would want to see the electoral college stay the way it is because i think the adversaries who want to change uh the way the framers had designed it would try to pick away at that so i do think it should stay the way it is in regards i wouldn't make many changes maybe just make term limits for uh the u.s senators that they can't be there forever that maybe they serve two terms of six years but in regards to the electoral college I wouldn't want to see any changes made there. All right. So um, term limits you're open to, no changes to the Electoral College. Um, well, let me ask you this on the Electoral College front. Should yes, should an, electoral, uh, an elector that uh, is pledged to a presidential candidate, say Biden or Trump, should an elector be able to vote for someone else, for instance? Like if, if, uh, I, if um, you know, Trump wins Florida, for instance, and I'm a, a presidential elector pledged to Trump, should I then be able to go to my electoral college meeting and vote for someone else? They call these guys faithless electors. It happened a lot in, uh, in 2020, certainly. You know, I would have to know more about that process in depth to really give you, a, a, you know, an answer to that. But I just know, like, uh, if something is unpopular to the people who can't get their way, like, for instance, we've just seen uh, the 1973 decision of Roe v. Wade uh, be overturned. So what is happening here is that they just want to change what they don't like. So that's why I would want to keep the Electoral College the way it is. 
and what you said in regards to the elector, uh, should they be have the choice to vote for somebody else? Uh, I'm not sure, uh, know that much about in depth in regards to that. All right, fair enough, Al. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Seven open lines if you have a thought on what ought to change in the Constitution. I gave you my list. I'd like to hear yours. What do you got for us? Uh, 800-848-9222. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Oh, hi, Frank. Hello, How Carol. are you? I'm great. Um, I I was actually calling about the other issues. All right, well, comment, comment as you see fit, Carol. Go ahead. Thank you. About um, the autism and all that kind of stuff. When I was in school, there were students that were very intelligent, and I. But there was something off about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And um, but they still made good grades, and I think I'm a bit of a savant myself because. Uh, I knew so much about baseball and the British invasion <laughs> and uh, even some scientific things, too. And people thought I I was weird. <laughs> I can't imagine that, Carol. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol, th- I appreciate that. Thank you. 800-849-222. This is an interesting idea, and I'm sorry I didn't think of this myself. This from an email from Mike. I would like to I would clarify birthright citizenship. I believe it was never intended to be policy as it was written. It should be revisited and clarified. If a person is born on U.S. soil, they should not automatically become a citizen. That's interesting. I'd like to think about that a little more, but I'm open to that. Certainly. I um, you know, that's the whole anchor baby situation, right? I'm open to that. 800-848-9222. Ed is on Long Island. Hello, Ed. Hey, Frank. How's it going tonight? It's going well. All Thanks right. for asking. Okay. Uh, yeah, regarding on the Constitution, now, uh, it, it, they're talking about a constitutional convention, but the, the framers of the country put in the amendment process. That's, right. that's all we have that, that we need. Um Here's something interesting. You can Google this when you get a chance. Uh, look back to um, a thing called the New States Constitution. Uh, I think it was 1933, 34. Uh, FDR tried to push through a new constitution back in the 30s. People don't know about that. And it's online. You can read it. Uh, it's horrendous. Uh, 12-year terms for the president. You know, all, all kinds of stuff that was really crazy. But uh, it's been tried. And, you know, the whole thing is that the framers realized that uh, with a two-thirds uh, and then three-quarters to ratify that the, the popular uh, vote, you know, would be represented through these people. Uh, that would be the only way to go. I mean, take, take for example, uh, Prohibition, right? <clears throat> they, they outload alcohol, uh, and then they, they, uh, they turn it around again a couple right. years later. Yes, I'm familiar. Right. Right. So the, the amendment process, this twenty, I think 27 amendments, you know, is, is the, uh, the tool they gave us. Right. Well, so uh, I'm you asking know. you, let's say we have this convention, um, uh, uh, you know, th- then you're a delegate. What would you do? Mm-hmm. Well, if, if there was a convention, uh, the, 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 here's the problem. You know, uh, the, it's open to all kinds of fraud and bribery. 
You know, I mean, even in the original convention, they had closed doors. Yeah. And Ben Franklin told the lady uh, very famously after he finished, and they opened the doors up. Right. What have you given us a republic if you right. can keep it? Right. But, um, right. Exactly. but right. again, let's say in theory, Ed, you're a delegate mm-hmm. to this new constitutional convention. Well, just humor mm-hmm. me. What amendments are you proposing? What amendments are you supporting? What do you think would help the country? What do you think would have the government function better? Okay, well, first of all, I got a few suggestions there, but here's the problem. They don't follow it right now. <laughs> well, fair, well, but so, you know, um, so give me, give me one of your suggestions, Ed. I mean, obviously, a, I, a president yeah. can't serve a, three, a, a five-year term instead of a four-year term. Right. So there are certain things that are ironclad that are in there. Right. Right. Right now, I, I would basically go uh, – the biggest thing right now is we see the economy is the monetary system. Okay? Now, now here's something interesting. Uh, okay, so we have the Federal Reserve. It's a, a private group of banks uh, that make decisions for us. So you, you listen to a hearing in Congress where they're, they're trying to audit the Fed, and the Fed says, oh, you can't do that. And they say, what are you talking about? The original Constitution said that Congress controls the coins of the right. money. Okay, now that was something that's got to be fixed. Okay, it's, it's got all the other countries in the world, their central banks are, are controlled so t- by take power away their, from the Fed. Parliaments. Take power away right. from the Federal Reserve. Okay, I, I, that's a fair suggestion. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Fran's in Westchester. Hello, Fran. Hi, how are you tonight? Great, thank you. I just want to tell you, you can't have a constitutional convention, someone told me, who knows history. You have to go in with one item or two items and state what you're going to change. You can't go in and say, let's take the Constitution and rip it all apart. You have to say, we're going in to change the the gun situation or the um, uh, whatever, what some what, of the other yeah, so, different. You have to... Have a definite. Otherwise, they're going to take everything in the Constitution and rip it apart, and you're going to come up with nothing at all. The only thing I would like to see changed is the term limits, because I think the politicians are making a life of cheating (laughs) and all kinds of of. I, I just don't think they're being honest about a lot of things, and I think we should have term limits so they're not so comfortable there. I, I'm that with they you. Think nothing can happen. Uh, and c- couple of things, the friend. Only thing. Okay. And thank. Thank you, friend. Couple of things. One, um, it depends on the wording of the proposal, and if the proposal is specific, then and it has to be about guns or whatever. Then. The theory is that they can only uh, they can only deal with that issue. That's the first thing. But if it's an open ended proposal and enough states call for it, I think you need 34 in all, then they can do whatever they want. The safeguard around them going crazy is that whatever proposals they come up with, whatever proposed amendments then need to be ratified by the states. So it's not going to be ratified by uh, two thirds of the states. If they come up with a whole bunch of crazy stuff, at least not in theory, right? Um, Let me squeeze in one more here, and then we'll uh, take a quick break. Those of you that are calling, uh, we will get to you, though. Dee is in Westchester. Hello, Dee. Hello, Frank. How nice to talk to you this evening. Likewise. I really do like your opinions and the way you you carry on. Um, uh, I'm most upset about campaign financing. I find I find that it's so bad that someone like Soros, for instance, 
can shift an entire uh, election by donating millions of dollars. I think it's terrible. Gee, I completely agree with you. And that was actually one of the ones that I had on my list. I forgot to mention it. I don't have a specific fix for how I would fix campaign finance reform, but I agree with you. Uh, this, what we have now, instead of 535 public servants, we have uh, uh, pretty much 535 political prostitutes that are willing to, um, in most instances, sell themselves for the highest bidder because yeah. it costs so much money to run for office. I completely agree with you on this one, Dee. Uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. If you have suggestions for what you'd like in a new constitution, so far among the callers, um, there seems to be consensus on term limits. Uh, the one fellow wants a um, reform of the Federal Reserve. What else are you putting in there? Sky's the limit. Be creative, folks. Be creative. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If you ever, if you ever um, want to know what kind of music we're playing, uh, just join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Um, taking your calls on if you're a delegate to a new constitution, what do you do to change it? What do you do to fix it? What do you do to improve it? That's what you're tasked with. Be creative. What do you got? 800-848-9222. Neil, who, uh, whose question on Friday inspired this discussion, uh, what do you have to say for yourself, Neil? Well, I would uh, – well, I thought it was a good question. I mean, was it wasn't good enough to win a, a hat or a T-shirt. Well, uh, not according to Alex Barnard. Take it up with him. That's right. That's right, Frank. We need new judges. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking – Without life uh, tenure. Right, right. I, I was thinking, like, with the president, uh, as you know, how immigration is, is so messed up with uh, two million people coming across the border. And there's no accountability to the guy, uh, even though the, the law says that he has to enforce, you know, the, the border and uh, we have federal law. They just ignore it. So I would like some sort of mechanism to actually hold his feet to the fire. Um, you, you can't impeach a guy because they got the majority. It won't work. Maybe the Supreme Court should just find them. Maybe they have. Maybe they should get involved with something like that. So, giving the power of impeachment and removal not just to Congress but to other entities as well. I would think so, and also on a, on a, on a national level, uh, like you said, for a referendum, uh, you know, federal law and state law overlap each other sometimes. Like marijuana is, sure. is illegal federally, yep. but it's, it's legalized state. 
who takes precedent? I mean, you really shouldn't have one with, and the other uh, contradicting each other. There should be some mechanism to make one one as the precedent, and the other one, you know, just uh, shouldn't be able to be enforced. Uh, that's a fair suggestion, Neil. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris is in Mount Vernon. What do you have for us, Chris? Hey, I, I was I was thinking they should uh, they should put a limit on on, on how much they can tax the, the the people. You know. I thought there already was a, a limit on, on what they could do, but apparently they just so, keep raising taxes. What would you do, Chris? Would you say, um, you know, there was a proposal years ago for a balanced budget amendment. Would you say the government uh, needs to balance its budget? Would you say you need a super majority for a tax increase? Or would you say, what, what, how, what, how exactly would that, that limit on taxes work? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know, but okay, that, well, that's you... above my pay grade. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just saying that uh, everything is so expensive and people want to work, and, and then half the money is going over here. And it's like, you know, you make a thousand dollars, you come home with six fifty. It's crazy. It's like uh, it is indeed, Chris. You're, you're telling me eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Victor's in North Bergen. Hello, Victor. Ah, uh, yes. Good morning, um, Frank. I, I would have all three, you know, the, 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 the types that they have in Europe, referendums, recalls, and plebiscites. Plebiscites are very important. Right. Well, also, yeah, I mean, that's my call for a referendum uh, is, is yeah. similar to what they do with, the, with, the, with initiative and referendum and plebiscites in Europe. You're right. Yeah. Also, uh, like in Europe, especially Italy, you vote, uh, uh, you know, they give you like a whole week to vote. Okay, not just the first Tuesday in November. So let's. let's but we have that it. now with early voting in most states. I, I suppose so. Uh, also, I, I think that you know because of the common law system that we have in this country, the, the courts, people in black robes have way too much power. You know, Japan after World War II was given a choice uh, whether they wanted uh, the. Civil law system, you know, which is the system that the rest of the world uses other than Sharia law, or the common law system, the Japanese chose the civil law system. In other words, have the uh, judges interpret the laws and enforce the laws that's been legislated by the legislature. Interesting. Uh, Victor, I like, uh, I like a lot of what I'm hearing here, uh, Victor. Thank you. Robert in Suffolk, what do you have for us, Robert? Oh, good morning. Morning. Frank, first time caller. Oh, welcome. All right. Thank you very much. I think you, you sound like a decent guy and uh, have some intelligence. Don't be so sure. Think, well, <laughs> from what I hear, I've been listening to your show, and I don't think the Constitutional Convention would be a good idea because these Democrats have been passing all these unconstitutional laws. Our Constitution and amendments have served us very well for over 200 years. Well, I mean, only apparently the one thing that Republicans and Democrats can agree on in public opinion polls is that the country is headed in the wrong direction. So, I mean, um, first of all, for this thought exercise, I'm not necessarily making the case for a constitutional convention. I do tend to favor it. But let's just assume there is a constitutional convention. You're now a delegate. Robert's representing Long Island at the constitutional convention. What changes would you make? Uh, One, I would propose a constitutional amendment 
not change the Constitution. Well, that's what itself. it that's what uh, is except an amendment that the Constitution shall apply to all business entities, whether partnership, corporation, sole proprietorship, etc. Because you have all these big businesses that are running rampant over our rights as citizens. That has to stop. Uh, I thought the Citizens United case was going to do that, but apparently not. Yeah. Well, and Robert, amendments are changes. So when we talk about making changes to the Constitution, we're talking about that very thing. We're talking about amendments. 800-848-9222. Alex in Brooklyn has an interesting suggestion. Hello, Alex. Yeah. So uh, I want to say three things that I think we should we should put on, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, make constitutional. Sure. And the first thing I want to ask, I want to ask you a question to lead you up to the answer. Sure. What do you think is Elon Musk's biggest regret of his entire lifetime? And it's something that was out of his control. I, I think it's the same uh, regret that John Katzmatidis has, which is not being born here. Right. So I think that someone that wasn't born in this country but was a citizen for at least 10 years should be able to run for president in this country and go John Katzmatidis. I think that if Trump doesn't run, he should endorse him and the second thing i want to say is i think that well john can't because he wasn't born here that's the thing so we have to change that we have right. to change that and the second thing is that the pharmaceutical industry and the pharmaceutical company shouldn't be able to make more than 100 percent total profit of the product that they're giving out in the medication they're they're making like 600 to 1000 percent off things they shouldn't be able to make more than 100 percent profit because it's essential for the american people and the third thing i would do is i would make it illegal for minors to have social connection access to social media, violent movies, and violent video games, which is what's leading uh, causing these shootings that are happening. You know, that, you know, a couple, I, I, I think these are all interesting suggestions. As far as the first goes, you know, Larry Sabato wrote a book with 23 proposals for a more modern constitution. He calls for, you know, a bunch of things. A couple of them are similar to ideas that I've mentioned. He calls for expanding the House. But one of the things that he calls for is doing away with that birthright citizenship requirement for uh, uh, for presidents. I certainly agree with that. He says uh, it, you should be a citizen for 20 years before you're eligible to run. You say 10. All right. I, I can I can maybe split the difference. Go with 15. But um, yeah, someone someone like John Katsimatidis or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, for instance, regardless of whether you'd vote for Arnold, these guys absolutely should have the ability to run for president. So I like that suggestion. Your other two suggestions, um, I think that's the kind of thing that might be better handled legislatively rather than actually enshrining that in the Constitution. But certainly yeah, but good. The legislators, the le- legislators are bought out by the pharmaceutical companies. And well, well, that goes so to we what in the Constitution that goes to what D-, D was saying about the need for campaign finance reform, real campaign finance reform, not like what you saw with uh, McCain-Feingold. 800-848-9222. Rich is in northern New Jersey. Hello, Rich. Hi, Frank. Um, I wanted to call because I am involved with the Convention of States. I don't know if you're aware of it. Well, but- yeah, I, I, I did not know you were involved with it, no. Be, well, are you familiar with the movement? Yeah, we've we've had guys from from um, you know that are pushing that on the show to talk about it. Yes. Oh, okay. Because um, you know it's it and people keep calling it a constitutional convention. That's a misnomer. It's a convention of states. 
So there's three, there's 19 states that have already signed the resolution, passed the resolution, and there's three things in the platform, uh, term limits, a balanced federal budget, and to reduce federal overreach. And in terms of the term limits, it just doesn't include elected officials. We're looking at all these bureaucrats that are in all these agencies that have been there forever to have term limits on them as well. So the amendment the amendment that would get proposed would have to be uh, uh, ratified by 39 states or 75%. And I hear people say, oh, you know, the thing could be a runaway convention. Would never happen because if anything is proposed. Right. Well, that's what I said to Fran. That's the safeguard is you're not going to have 75 percent of the states um, endorsing some crazy right wing or ultra left wing agenda. So I. I, I, Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally get it, Rich. Thank you. My interest is not necessarily in discussing the Article 5 convention. My interest is discussing what changes you'd like to see as part of it. That's kind of my my take. Hey, uh, this was really um, interesting. There was a news anchor up in Albany by the name of Heather Kovar. She's on the local, uh, I think it's the local ABC affiliate up there. Uh, no, no, excuse me. It's the local CBS affiliate, Channel 6 in, uh, in Albany. So over the weekend, she was on television trying to make a transition for, to weather and she she looks and sounds terrible. She appears disheveled. She is slurring her words. And at first I thought maybe she was having a stroke or something, honestly. And then the fact that the television station Channel 6 has suspended her leads me to think that maybe she was either drunk or that she was on something. So I'm wondering what it was because she's jittery. Her eyes look all weird. Um, Listen to this. This was she had a lot of trouble trying to discuss an explosion at a natural gas plant. And then she had a lot of trouble kind of segueing to different segments, including weather. Curious what you think happened here. Listen to this, and you could watch it too. In fact, I will. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to post it on my Facebook page because I don't want to look like I'm trying to, you know, make a jerk out of her or something. I'm genuinely just curious. You know what, what? Whatever. I will post it. You can watch it. It's at facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. And tell me what you think this is here. Listen to this. This is uh, from Channel Six in Albany over the weekend. Developing now, we're learning of a massive explosion and large fire at a One Oak plant in Medford, Oklahoma. It is the Oklahoma is the location of a natural gas terminal that moves natural gas through Kansas and Texas. You see, massive underground stores of gas are at risk. Evacuations have been ordered for the town of Medford, Oklahoma, with uh, unknown fatalities, injuries at this at this and injuries are unknown to this situation. All right, so, well, hello, good afternoon. Like, I was telling you this morning, if you watched us this morning, starting at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., I told you, you know what, today, what a beautiful day outside. It is just amazing. And so, 
A great time for outdoor uh, music. The Powers Park Concert Series kicking off this afternoon. It's a celebration of the 250th anniversary of the village of Lansingburg. Now, but they're going to like do this throughout August, but it's just today's very special event. And I just can't tell you how much I love this Powers Park event. And we got there early because they started at 2 p.m. And it was host to numerous concerts throughout the day. And, like, so we started it off with that showcasing of muscle cars from the Adirondacks. Now, you know, it was just a, a history of Lansingburg today. What do you think? Drunk? Medication? Drugs? Health issue. Now... If it was a health issue, I don't think the station would have suspended her pending an investigation, which is what they've done. But it was really disturbing to watch. I watched it twice, and uh, I found it difficult and and uh, kind of jarring. If um, if I ever sound like that on the air, Alex, please, you have my permission to get the hook and pull me pull me off the air. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, um, we took. Carmine, my seven-month-old son, for his first trip to Atlantic City this weekend. So we went to Atlantic City, got there Friday night, and then I uh, met up with some friends on uh, Friday night. Former Mayor uh, Don Guardian, he's now an assemblyman in New Jersey. The council member out there, Jesse Kurtz. Uh, uh, Tom Forkin, who's a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Now he runs a surf school. Imagine that. See, that's why Atlantic City is so great. Only there can you have become go from being a lawyer to a surf instructor, right? So I uh, had a great time, and Don Guardian has just the best stories in the world. He tells me this story, and this is a true story. He tells me this story of, you know, Atlantic City's got some rough neighborhoods, okay? And Don's telling me how he's walking around one of these rough neighborhoods a couple of weeks ago. Homeless guy stops him, okay? Homeless guy asks him for money. And Don says, which is true, he doesn't have any cash on him. The homeless fella says, now Don's kind of old school. He's like me. He's old-fashioned, not into all the latest has-beens and gadgetry. The homeless guy says to him, that's okay. I accept Venmo. The homeless guy tells him he can give him money via Venmo. That's where... Panhandling is these days is you have folks with mobile phones who are taking money via Venmo. Venmo, if you don't know, is like a digital financial transaction service and where you can split checks or just give money easily using this Venmo. So Don says to him, what do you mean? You can get you you get money on your phone like that to the homeless guy. The homeless guy says, yeah, this is a rough neighborhood. I'm not going to be running around here holding all that cash. So that's what Don said is that's how rough some of these neighborhoods are in Atlantic City that even homeless folks are afraid to be walking around carrying um, carrying money. So that was that. And then uh, stayed out way too late Friday night into Saturday morning. You know, that's the thing when you go to these casinos. There's no clocks and you have no idea what time it is. So I stayed out late playing Baccarat, Little Craps, and uh, some Blackjack. Did very well. I don't like, you know, to... Uh, brag about my winnings because, uh, 
you know, I don't like to whine about my losses. And then, you know, chances are you give it back on your next trip. But I did well. I was happy just to come back ahead and be able to pay my uh, my credit card bill for the month. So that was nice. So happy to come back a winner. Carmine had a, a good time. He uh, went on the boardwalk. He uh, scoped out the sites. He was very popular down there. And then uh, we met up with uh, some some family on Saturday and went out briefly again on uh, on Saturday as well. It was a lot of fun. A fun night, uh, a fun weekend overall, and uh, I was glad that we that Carmine was so well behaved on his first night in a hotel, which he was. Slept the whole night, which was great. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Alex Barnard's suggestion. This is a terrific song. I have never heard this, I don't think. This is Where Have All the Cowboys Gone by Paula Cole. Uh, let's listen to this for a little bit. This is great. Well, you seriously never heard this song? I don't think I have. If I have, I, I don't remember hearing it. I uh, I tell you, I I just thought of it on a whim tonight, and I wanted to see if we this? had it, and I was really, really happy that we did. Yeah. I haven't heard this in years. This is terrific, I must say. Uh, all right. Uh, like I said, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just join the Facebook group. Search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Uh, not only do we post the songs in there, but uh, there's a lot of discussion about what goes on on this show and what we do on this show, and you're welcome to participate in the discussion, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Those of you that are holding, I'm going to get to you. Oh, we'll take your calls now. All right, uh, six open lines if you want to be heard on anything we've covered thus far. Dave's in Lockport. Hello, Dave. Hey, how are you doing, Frankie? Good morning. Great, thank you. Yeah, uh, you got a couple of big fans here, both named Dave in Western New York, one in Lockport and one in North Tonawanda. Well, that's that's uh, very nice. I'm grateful for. Uh, for all these, all the Daves that li- listen everywhere, especially in Western New York, which I understand is still wall-to-wall Frank Morano country. Oh yeah, man, we uh, we love uh, Frank and we love uh, WABC in general. Wonderful. But I have a couple of uh, quick ones. Uh, they might be a little radical, but I believe that uh, everybody that graduates high school or gets out of high school, whether they drop out or whatever. There should be manual conscription to the military if they're physically and mentally able for at least two years before they're allowed to go to college. And the other thing is it's a takeoff on the movie Starship Troopers that if you don't successfully complete some obligation to the military, if you're capable, that you don't get to vote. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, Rome did that. I mean, or Sparta. They, if you weren't in the military, you weren't a citizen, essentially, and didn't have the exactly. rights of, of citizenship. I love the idea of national service, whether mandatory national service, even if 
we allow people, if they don't want to be in the military, they could have the option of being a teaching fellow or doing something like the Peace Corps, because ultimately, you know, we're not going to use 35 million new troops. That's something that we've covered, and uh, I like that idea a lot. I don't know. That's the kind of thing that I think might better be hashed out legislatively rather than in the Constitution. But I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Uh, and I love the idea. I love the concept. and I, I love your out of the box thinking, Dave. Uh, that's great stuff. Well, well you know, I mean, uh, I'm ex-military. My son's ex-military. Um, it, it makes a uh a grown-up out of you. Not yeah, no, no, no. Man. Uh, and, you know, it's socially acceptable. You can't say man. But, you know, it makes a grown-up out of you. It teaches you how to be an adult. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get that, Dave. Thank you very much. 800-848-9222. John is in Bayonne. Hello, John. Frank, um, I'm dead set against getting rid of the Electoral College. The guy before was calling it the Electoral College. It's well, a lot of people college. say that. We don't, we don't want to nitpick. Oh, at least I don't want that's, to nitpick. That's quite all right. Um, I'm not a big fan of getting rid of the Electoral College because then New York, Illinois, California, Washington, Oregon, New Jersey – will win every election. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, and I understand where 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 you're coming from. I think it would change the way that candidates campaign a little bit if they didn't have to. Uh, you know, the thing that I really there's a lot of things that I don't like about the Electoral College. But one of them is I don't like that in the general election, the candidates don't come to New York because it's already assumed that the that, you know, the Democrat is going to win. And the same thing in the red states. So the only states that get any attention paid to them are the states that are are battleground states. And that's why that is a very good point. And and, the same thing with the advertising. We don't see the right. Right. And and if you think about that, John, what that leads to is very weird public policy um, that's designed to cater to certain constituencies in certain cases. Now, there's no reason at all that we should be subsidizing ethanol. And there's no reason at all that the taxpayers should be paying farmers uh, for corn that is being burned, okay? So the only reason that happens is because of the power of Iowa in both the primaries and the general election. So because Iowa is such a a pivotal state in the primaries and the general, I mean, we all have to now pay the bills for this idiotic ethanol subsidy. Florida, the same thing. Because of the power of the Cuban community down there, we for years had the most insane immigration policy with respect to Cuba, this idiotic wet foot, dry foot policy which applies to applied to no other country in the world except Cuba why so that politicians in both parties can win over um, Cuban votes in Florida it made absolutely no sense so I don't like the fact that um, that the unless you're in a battleground state essentially your concerns are totally ignored by the major party candidates and um, I, I, I am sympathetic to what you're saying about the big cities not necessarily being reflective of the country as a whole. And and thank you for the call, John. But the bottom line is I don't love the idea of the person that doesn't get the most votes 
winning the election. I just I, I don't like it. It just strikes me as as both unfair and undemocratic. Now, again, I'm willing to keep the Electoral College because I am sympathetic to the needs of the small states. You don't want a, um, you know, they use the phrase tyranny of the majority. I'll call it a dictatorship of the cities. I get that. Uh, but to me, the way the Electoral College is constituted now, it's just such a crummy system as far as I'm concerned for a, a variety of reasons. But uh, it is uh, it is what it is. You know, that's the system. Hey, I want to talk about this before we run out of time. Um, this is an article in The Sun. OK, Thomas Mantle died on January 7th, 1948. He was in the military when his fighter plane fell out of the sky in Kentucky. He was a 25-year-old war hero when he was killed in a plane crash after being scrambled to chase down a UFO back in the 40s, back in 1948. So now, almost 75 years later, his family is desperate for answers. Now, the official story is that he flew too high in a plane and ran out of oxygen, okay, um, while chasing Venus or a weather balloon. Apparently, according to the Mantell family, that simply does not wash, okay? So his grandson is demanding answers, and the family's demanding a- answers. Captain Mantell's P-51 Mustang, he was flying on the day of the chase, um, according to his grandson... The government have tried to say he was a fly boy, that he was like a maverick in Top Gun, but he was just doing what he was told to do. He had two sons. He was married to his high school sweetheart. Um, He was an experienced pilot and died chasing something that he thought was a threat to America. What was it? This is the grandson being quoted in this article in The Sun. I'm not sure. This was a decorated World War II veteran who had been awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for his heroics, and he even served at D-Day. Yet, despite dodging death from Nazi anti-aircraft guns, the young father died when his plane mysteriously fell out of the sky just miles from where he was born in Franklin, Kentucky. So Captain Mantell, who was flying a training mission at the time with three other pilots when dispatched by Godman Army Airfield at Fort Knox after reports of an unknown object on January 7th, 1948. The mysterious shape in the sky was spotted by cops and then airmen stationed in the base's control tower. Some witnesses described the shape in the sky as a 300-foot disc, while others said it was a flaming red cone trailing a gaseous green mist. So... The sighting came as UFO fever was gripping the country. Um, And being six months after the Roswell incident and the first modern sighting by the pilot Kenneth Arnold. But while those inflamed public curiosity and America's newfound obsession with flying saucers, Captain Mantell's encounter took a dark twist, according to The Sun, with a tragic end. So Thomas ordered one of his wingmen to 
uh, from 165th Fighter Squadron to return to base and to arm his plane with hot guns and prepare to engage. The other pilots peeled off the pursuit, but war hero Mantell bravely sped on towards the UFO. And when he hit 20,000 feet, suddenly all contact was lost with him. It's been reported that some of his final radio communications to the airbase control tower saw him describing a metallic object of a tremendous size. So for him to come back from World War II and die the way that he died, his family's not happy about it. I'll tell you what, I'm going to invite the grandson um, on this program to talk about his family's search for answers because if this is true that the military is covering something up here, even if it's not anything to do with the UFO then that's not the way we should be treating war heroes in this country, as far as I'm concerned. Hey, uh, we got commendations coming up in a moment. We'll also continue with your calls, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, um, those of you, I mentioned how... Um, we took my son on his uh, first trip to uh, Atlantic City over the weekend and uh, had a good time. Uh, Ellen has posted in the Facebook group, essentially, uh, Hope Carmine was a big winner and maybe he can give his, uh, his, his, his father a loan. So she asked about pictures. I, I, I did post a couple of pictures in the Facebook group. So if you want to see those photos, uh, join the Facebook group of uh, Carmine on the boardwalk. Carmine in his hotel bed for the first time and Carmine um, standing under a sign that says you have to be older than 21 in order to gamble. Uh, Needless to say, uh, he did not like those rules. Uh, We're going to get to your calls in mere moments. But uh, first, there are a lot of people in this town that deserve a pat on the back. And they include... The Other Side of Midnight presents... Zach Gallo, the Long Island lifeguard who fought off a shark with his bare hands. My goodness, 33 years old, Smith Point Beach, Suffolk County, Sunday uh, playing a victim in an ocean training exercise when he suddenly feels a sharp pinch in his hand as he was treading in chin-deep water. That's when... He pulled the shark to his chest, and his survival instinct kicked in. This guy's been a lifeguard for 10 years. So he says, I ripped back, and I just started hammer punching, and I felt the rubber texture of the head. It felt like the size of a basketball. As the five-foot-long shark thrashed in the water, Gallo kept punching to keep its sharp teeth off of him, and just seconds later, the fight was over. I just boom, boom, boomed, and on the third connect, the shark flipped. I saw the whole body flip and swim in the other direction. And um, 
he's bleeding from his wounds to his chest and his hands, and he knew the rest of the guards in the water were still in danger, and he immediately sprung into action. So once he saw uh, and felt the tail hit him in the chest and the arms, he tells the other guards that he's in the water with, get to shore, get to shore, get to shore. Uh, He says, I probably swam faster than I ever had in my life. So miraculously, this fella only had a couple of stitches in his hand and a bandage on his chest. He's very lucky to have survived. How many people do you know that can say they've gotten into a fist fight with a shark and won? I tell you, Zach Gallo is one tough hombre. I'd feel pretty safe if I was hanging out at Smith Point Beach with guys like that guarding you. My goodness. Commendation to you, Zach Gallo. I must also commend the Birmingham Stallions. Last weekend, the Birmingham Stallions won the USFL Championship. The USFL is one of those things that I always forget even exists now until I see a commercial. I don't think I saw one second of one USFL game this season. I I feel like I should have at least watched one. You know, I do like football, and I'm always hoping one of these alternative football leagues will do well. But, um... Congratulations to the uh, Birmingham Stallions. They are the USFL champions after defeating the Philadelphia Stars. If the USFL comes back next year, I'm going to try and watch a couple of games. I want to commend truth. That's right. According to a recent study by researchers at Notre Dame University, the truth, not only will it set you free, but it actually improves your mental and physical health. The less you lie, the healthier you are. And this is documented. They asked a group of people to stop telling lies for 10 weeks and told a control group to continue as normal. The group of truth tellers reported fewer instances of poor mental health, such as feeling tense or melancholy, as well as fewer physical symptoms like sore throats or headaches. The truth tellers also reported improvements in their relationships with friends and family, and they said they felt generally more honest By the fifth week of avoiding lies. So the lies we tell range from the relatively harmless, like telling someone you liked a gift when you didn't, to the big and bad, like taking credit for someone else's work. 89% of lies fall into the little white lies category. 11%, according to a study from the University of Wisconsin, 11% are big lies. And apparently we lie most to those closest to us. The same study found that 51% of fibs are told to a friend, 21% to family members, and 11% to school or work colleagues. Just 9% of our lies are told to strangers. Isn't that interesting? So when we tell lies, regardless of whether they're big or small, our bodies respond. Lying can trigger, whether it's big or small, an increased heart rate, high blood pressure, Elevated levels of stress hormones in the blood. Over time, that takes a significant toll on your physical or mental health. So, as we commend the truth, if you want to be healthier, you want to feel better, stop lying. Even the little ones. I want to commend, we don't have this person's name, but I want to commend the hero citizen who thwarted a mass shooting in Richmond, Virginia, at a July 4th celebration. One phone call 
saved countless lives and prevented a mass shooting. That is the word from the police chief in Richmond and the mayor. This hero tipster overheard a conversation that a mass shooting was being planned for the celebration at the Dogwood Dell Amphitheater, and he called that information into police on July 1st. The amphitheater seats 2,400 people. The same day as the tip, police went to a residence at the 1,000 block of Columbia Avenue where they found the weapons and ammunition. In total, police found two assault rifles, one handgun, and 223 rounds of ammunition. Um, One man was arrested Friday, and police put surveillance on a second person who was arrested Tuesday. Both suspects have been charged with being non-citizens in possession of a firearm. They were planning to actually shoot up the 4th of July celebration. So we don't know their motive, but we knew they were going to kill all these people or try to kill them. Both men are being held uh, without bond, thankfully. But as the, uh, either the police chief or the mayor said, there is no telling how many lives this hero citizen saved from one phone call. It really goes to show you, you know, sometimes, you remember that phrase that was big at the time, if you see something, say something, sometimes that pays. And uh, sometimes one phone call can really change the whole course of history. I mean, one moment. Think about if this guy had decided, I'm too busy, I'm just going to kind of continue with my day, not take the time out to call someone. Think of... How many lives are affected by one person being murdered? By one person being murdered? Think about what happened if 12 people would have died. Think of all the lives affected. I mean, I, I, I find this chilling and inspiring all at the same time. But whoever that citizen is, we are going to give him or her a commendation. I want to commend the... Um, 10-year-old twins of Brad Hassig, okay? You had his son Christian and his son Bryden, along with their neighbor Sam Ebert, spring into action and save Brad Hassig. So Brad Hassig was performing routine breathing exercises in his backyard pool in Alabama, all of a sudden, he blacks out. He passes out. He faints. And so he's lying on his side, and his face was starting to turn blue. So the twins, along with their neighbor, jump into action. So um, they dive into the water, grab one arm, and pull him next to the steps. So the father weighs 185 pounds. And the boys were able to pull him out of the water. So the boys realized their father's phone was locked and they didn't have phones of their own. And their mom wasn't home. What do you do? What do you do? You're 10 years old. The mom's not home. You see your father's turning blue. What do you do? Well, Christian sprinted to a neighbor's house. But when it became clear they weren't home, he flagged down a car and asked those inside to call 911. Meanwhile... Bryden, the twin brother of Christian, and Sam, that's the neighbor, realized they would they needed to perform CPR. Ten years old. CPR. Neither one of them is trained on CPR. Bryden saw the movie 
the Sandlot. You remember the scene with uh, Wendy, the lifeguard, and she does uh, CPR on uh, squints? So they were never trained. All Bryden did was repeat the steps he had seen in the movie The Sandlot. So this is incredible. And it worked. Hassig starts spitting up water as the medics arrive. So this is incredible. These boys are heroes, and I bet you their parents are pretty pleased they let them watch the movie The Sandlot. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anybody that we're commenting, by the way. I want to give a commendation to Al Fraza. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I don't know if it, I'm assuming I am. Al Fraza is a historian in New Jersey, and he's got this great website that I just discovered, RevolutionaryWarNewJersey.com. It is the most comprehensive field guide to New Jersey's Revolutionary War historic sites ever compiled. It features photographs and information for 650 Revolutionary War historic sites across all 21 New Jersey counties. If you want to know anything about something that happened with respect to the Revolutionary War, you got to go to this website. And now he's put all this stuff into a new book. So I spent a long time on this website. I was researching all the cities that I've been to, all the counties that I'm going to, what Revolutionary War sites can I see. It's really exciting stuff. Like when we go to Cape May in August, they have a historic church there where you have um, some Revolutionary War folks that are buried. There's a, a, a big thing. The, one of the founders of Atlantic City, he's a Revolutionary War veteran. On this website, it says where the plaque is honoring him. It's such an interesting website. And I'm so glad that this guy took the time to do it. So now he has uh, written this new book. He thought this was going to be a project that took a couple of months. It took eight, eight years. Eight years. So he's got this new book. It's called State of Revolution, My Seven-and-a-Half-Year Journey Through Revolutionary War, New Jersey. It's so neat this thing. Uh, I'm going to try and check out the book, but um, if you're interested in that, uh, check out the website. It is called uh, Revolutionary War, uh, RevolutionaryWarNewJersey.com, and I'm happy for a job well done to give a commendation to Al Fraza. I have to also give a commendation to these strangers who saved a two-year-old boy whose parents died during the Highland Park shooting. A woman, stunned and speechless in the chaos of this horrible massacre on July 4th, walked up to Greg Ring and handed him a two-year-old boy covered in blood. Ring had fled the scene with his wife and three children. Uh, this woman didn't know the person she handed the baby to. The boy pointed in the direction of the parade route saying, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. Um, Ring's wish to help the boy carried him back to the scene. He tucked the boy's face in his chest so he couldn't see the carnage. And then he realized that it was too dangerous. A police officer shouts at him, active shooter, get back down. So he and his family got to their car and they took the boy to a Highland Park fire station. Uh, I have a boy. He's not ours. He tells the fire department. And, um, it's just such an incredible story. 
uh, the story of uh, Aiden McCarthy and his parents, Kevin and Irina, both killed in this shooting, which also left five others killed. I mean, it's just whenever there's moments like this where you really see the worst of humanity, as you do with the shooter there, there's so often a story like this, which seems to embody the best aspects of humanity. And these people just going out of their way, risking getting shot to protect a two-year-old boy they have they don't even know, a stranger. I, I, so I'm uh, giving a commendation to all the people that played a role in that. I want to give a commendation to the Logans, Scott and Jody Logan. Scott is technically my step-second cousin, which would make his wife Jody my step-second cousin-in-law. And they hosted us in Brigantine, New Jersey on Saturday night. Uh, We spent Friday night in Atlantic City at the Hard Rock, and then we went to uh, Scott's on the, um, you know, on Saturday. Had a great time, uh, ordered food, hung out the whole day. My brother came down. My uh, my cousin Deanna came, uh, came down. Carmine had a blast. One of their um, children, Declan, even gave Carmine his rubber chicken as a toy because it squeaks and he really loved it. So we had a great time, and I can't thank uh, Scott and Jody enough for their hospitality. Also, because you know the amount of money they saved us by hosting us on a Saturday night in Atlantic City? Have you ever tried to get a room on a Saturday night in Atlantic City during the summer? Forget about it. It's a, it's a fortune. Um, big thank you to uh, Scott and Jody and a commendation. They were really terrific. I want to commend um, Novak Djokovic, the winner of the men's final at Wimbledon. So uh, that is pretty exciting. And now he is just one Wimbledon title behind um, eight-time winner Roger Federer. And um, this is really great. This upset a lot of people because I I guess Djokovic was kind of an anti-vaxxer. But um, this was very, very controversial. But, uh, you know, look, that's doing really well. Commendation to him. I want to commend the state of Vermont. That's right. I've never been to Vermont, but I'd like to check it out one day. I've been invited up there, but I have, you know, I've got things to do. Vermont has been named or has been ranked by Untapped as the best state for beer drinkers in the entire country. They take into account factors such as the state's number of craft breweries, total number of barrels of craft beer produced, its 25 top 25 brew pubs, nano breweries, micro breweries, regional breweries, and macro breweries. They have determined that Vermont is a beer lover's paradise. I had a beer over the weekend. It was, you know, it was a good beer day. It was like a hot summer. You know, I usually don't drink beer, but, you know, every once in a while during the summer especially, got to let loose. So uh, that is this week's list of commendations. If there's anyone you would like to add uh, or if there's any comments on anyone I have commended, you are welcome to give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We will take your phone calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
comment on anything we're discussing, you're welcome to give me a call at uh, 800-848-9222. I, um, uh, coming up uh, in, at 4 o'clock, we'll chat about the life and times of Tony Sirico. Love him or hate him, the guy was a fascinating, fascinating person. Believe you me. And we'll get into exactly how fascinating he was. Now, a um, couple of things here. So, I worked here at this radio station with a young woman. We were friends at the time. We worked here together about 15 years ago. Right? Right? Yeah, 15 years ago. She was here maybe 10 months. Maybe 10 months. I don't think I've seen her in at least five or six years. Right? We used to do an alumni party for people that worked at WABC, and she would come. And... um but we keep in touch once in a while on Facebook, text once in a while. So I get an email the other day. She has listed me as a job reference. I haven't worked with her in 15 years. I didn't really work with her much. She was a, basically a phone, a telephone talent coordinator. And she didn't even ask before listing me as a reference. Now, isn't that weird? Now, of course, I'm going to do the right thing. I will give her a, a, a reference, you know, a positive reference because I think it's good karma. I want to, you know, I want to do the right thing by everybody. But isn't that a bizarre thing to do? To list someone as a job reference who you haven't worked with in 15 years, haven't seen in five years, maybe maybe more? I, I, I found it so odd. So I really did. Now, again... And then she sent me a follow-up text. Oh, work is going to send you a request for a reference. I got it. I'll send it in when I get around to it. Hopefully today I'll get an opportunity. But that's that's interesting. Hey, um, speaking of WABC, you know what was interesting? Listening to John Katsimatidis fill in on the Bernie and Sid show on Friday. And John is probably the best connected guy on the planet. The guy knows everybody. He opens up his uh, Rolodex and can call upon everybody. And it was interesting. One of the people that he had on the Bernie and Sid show on Friday was Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City. And Eric Adams and John spent most of the time basically agreeing on the crime issue. But especially in light of what happened with Al D'Amato, I was really pleased to hear what John had to say about another New York City mayor. Listen to what Eric Adams says. Listen to what Mayor Giuliani says on this front. Because remember, they had their whole tit-for-tat over 
Mayor Giuliani saying that he was uh, smacked on the back or attacked by somebody that patted him on the back. And the video seems to tell a different story from that uh, that uh, incident. Then it turns out that uh, Mayor Giuliani needed to be hospitalized, needed to go to the hospital and have a heart stent put in. This is a little bit of John Katsimatidis and uh, Eric Adams, courtesy of 77 WABC's Bernie and Sid program. Uh, there's one thing I want to uh, clear up in case you're, you're not uh, uh, knowledgeable of it, is I understand the uh, uh, misunderstanding or whatever between you uh, and Mayor Giuliani. I want you to know that Mayor Giuliani was in a weak state of mind because of the fact uh, he wasn't breathing well, and uh, he's been like that for 30 days. And on Tuesday, right after that weekend, uh, on Tuesday, he had stents put in to, 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 to bring back his oxygen count up. So no, no matter how hard that person hit him in the back, he felt it because of his health problem. And that's, and that's quite possible. And, uh, you know, uh, Giuliani is not my focus. My focus is the safety of the city. I understand. And also the fair treatment of New Yorkers. His articulation of what happened was far different from that video. Uh, that is the issue. And to have a New Yorker who did not commit a crime and spend 24 hours in, the, in jail based on articulation of an assault is troubling to me. And that is what I wanted to make clear. Jail is one of the most impactful, traumatizing things that can happen to an innocent New Yorker. And we need to be very careful before we place a New Yorker who has not committed a crime inside incarceration. Our freedom is at the foundation of our Constitution. There you have it. Uh, that was a portion of the interview that uh, took place on Friday. 800-848-9222. I will, um, well, let me, let me get in at least a couple of calls here. Nick is in Syracuse. Hello there, Nick. Good morning, Frank. Morning. And uh, thank you for thank you for giving so much, uh, giving so much of us a stump to stand on and talk in the morning and give our views. But anyways, I wanted to just bring up one topic I don't think was brought up or one point about the Convention of States, and that is the size of the bills that our senators and congressmen, congresspeople uh, vote on. They get thousands of pages in a bill on a Monday, and they got to vote on a Thursday. And there's no possible way anyone could read through these monstrous bills. And uh, I think that is a huge issue, plus the money, um, the lobbying and everything um, need to get – the, the, the special interests and influences out of them in Washington. And maybe if they only came to Washington once every three months and had that time at home to read these bills amongst their constituents, it might be better better off for all of us. And uh, I, I agree, point, I, I agree I, with you on that, absolutely. And um, another point about the um, – the, uh, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm ADD, but – and, and it has to do with that, the uh, Asperger's and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people, there are uh, people who are anti-vax who, have, uh, who, who can match up timelines to when shots became mandatory for vaccines and everything um, with, along those lines with a lot of the ailments that are coming out now with kids and how, how much of it's coming out as well. And I wanted to bring up one more point, too, with your cat. Um, 
have you ever tried uh, like probiotics and a diet that that helps build the gut back? Because with a lot of the medicines and stuff, maybe she was taking, um, it might have killed a lot of the 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 healthy nutrition and gut you need. Uh, that's to interesting. I want to I want to say yes, but I'm not sure. I'd have to uh, I'd have to uh, consult with uh, with the cat's mother on that one. But uh, I, if not, we'll definitely look into that one, Nick. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. I normally don't. Uh... I, I take to the Sliwa philosophy of not with too much preamble, but um, I appreciate, I, I love your show and you do a great job. But in terms of this young lady who decided to uh, list you as a reference, yeah, she didn't get in touch with you, but obviously you had a great experience with her or a good experience, satisfactory. I think you're being hypercritical. Okay. Um, just. Just like from the heart, say what you think about it. All right. No, I, I I'm going to give her a good review. Times? It's just I, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a strange thing to list someone that you haven't worked with in a decade and a half as a reference. Uh, I mean, I, it's not. Wouldn't you want to list someone that has a little more recent work experience with you? It's an excellent question, Frank. And you always, as you always say, ask questions. You ask great questions, but. Show a little empathy. She was good. Yeah, and no, absolutely. I'm, I, that's true. I'm no, I'm do whatever I can to help. Uh, so I will absolutely give her a uh, a nice recommendation. Thanks for the call, Mike. Thanks for keeping me honest. Because as we all know, honesty is not only the best policy; it is the healthiest policy. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hi. You you intercepted my 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 initial remarks. I have to respond to to to. Uh, the cast of Atini's interview with, with Eric Adams, because when Eric Adams, uh, first of all, uh, a video is a piece of evidence. It's not conclus- conclusory. People can derive different things from a video. So for, for Eric Adams to anoint himself as, as, as judge and, and prosecutor, judge and jury, and make the allegation that Giuliani was, was fabricating um, an assault, that really smacks of conspiracy to deprive him of his civil rights, um, and he took action on that. He, he announced it, and uh, the second action was he contacted uh, McMahon. So I, I think that it's possible that he could be sued for that. And also, in his initial comments, Eric Adams said, he said, if there was no video, Rudy would have claimed it was, that he was shot. That is slander. Okay, that is that is not saying that Rudy is lying. That is calling him a liar. Okay, he is no longer a public uh, public figure. He's a private citizen. Okay, so the rules of slander are more narrowly construed, and he's not doesn't. There's no exemption for public figure. He's a private citizen now. So I think Rudy should take to the courts and sue this guy. Okay, because he overstepped his bounds. Well, we will see what happens. Certainly, uh, Rudy is a bright legal mind. But the, the one thing that I, I certainly disagree with you on, and thanks for the call, Larry, is while Rudy may no longer be a, a public official, he's still a public figure. He's a, a media commentator. He's a talk show host. He's the father of a gubernatorial candidate. He is a public figure. He's a celebrity. He goes on Cameo and is you know sells greetings on Cameo. He is a public figure. 
He may not be in public office, but he's still a public figure. So I think Rudy, I don't think he's going to sue for slander. I think he knows the slander and libel laws better than I do. So I don't think that's likely. But if uh, if he were to sue, I think he would have a hard time because, as I said, he is a, a public figure. All right. Um, we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. don't like Mondays. I always do. Uh, I love Mondays. I feel like you get to start a brand new week and uh, really accomplish things. You're hopefully well rested from the weekend. I am not because uh, I was out uh, way too late both days. And um, But I like it. I feel like you. it's like a, a blank slate, a clean slate. Hey, um, I uh, had invited, uh, if you're just tuning in, I had invited Mike Koch- uh, Kachapoli on uh, You on said it right program. that time. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I want to call you Kachapelli. It's all right. Uh, so I, I invited Mike Cachopoli on uh, in the in the first hour of the program, and uh, I figured you know he's a West Coast guy, <laughs> want to go to sleep. And sure enough, I, I hey. go to get coffee just now, and he's sticking around here. What are you still doing here? Watch out! I might be getting the radio bug again. This is rough. This is <laughs> stay, away from uh, yeah, stay away from Stay away from. No, overnight. these hours. I don't know how you do. These hours are. If I can do it like once, but to do it five nights a week, it's tough. It, it's it not is easy. indeed. It's not, it's not normal it, hours. Yeah, no, 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 no. It is. It is indeed. Hey, you were telling me that um, that uh, when you were here, you knew James Golden, aka Bo Snerdly, when he was uh, working for Rush. I guess it was at the time. Even was before. He, oh, even, even before that. What was before. he doing when he was here with you? Board operator uh-huh. for, for all different shows. You know, whatever whatever shift he got. Even know? before he was an air talent, you you knew him as a board op. Yep. How was he as a board op? You know, he was James was I think different. I mean, he might argue with me if he was here that he wasn't as conservative as he is now. I thought he was more liberal, but you know, because he didn't have a show, I don't really know. Right, possibly he, he was to... always conservative. Uh-huh. You know, but um, then he did a show if you remember going back with uh, Joel, Joel, Joel Tisabon. Yeah, I, I where, like that show. Where it was like left right. The kind James of thing. And Joel. Show. So I guess I like at that, that point show. it was like James was more right. He Joel was yeah. more left. Whatever, like whatever it may have been. That was good. But that, uh, that was a fun, really a fun, but fun program. What people don't understand is uh, many people start in this business as a board operator right. or a screener right. or a studio director or, or even producer, you know, and then end up, you know, going into you know doing a show at the, some point. No, that, you know, that is so. uh, that is absolutely right. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to uh, the original Rick in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Um, about the jug handles in New Jersey. Are you there? Yeah, Rick, I'm listening to you. Well, I, I know people are perpetually used to uh, getting 
you know, getting, getting interrupted, but yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, usually the drug handles are on a busy road that has a divider, and you can't make a left-hand turn into the establishments on, on the left-hand side, so you have to make a U-turn, but there's not enough space at the light to make a U-turn, so they jig it around to a jug handle, so now your U-turn is going to be a left turn, and your left turn is now going to be straight ahead. That's why they do that. Yeah, I still think it's ridiculous. I got to tell you. No, what's ridiculous is the circles. Yeah, well, those are not. I don't feel like those are as common or as counterintuitive as these drug handles are. Thanks, Rick. Are, we're talking about the New Jersey drug handles. Are you familiar? Do you do any driving in New Jersey? I'm not a driver. You good? Good. You 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 don't know how lucky you are uh, on this one. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to uh, Joe in North Jersey. Hello, Joe. Yes. Hello, Frank. Yes. Uh, on the jug handles, the issue is safety. I used to work for a big corporation. On their whiteboard, they had zero accidents. Uh, we're trying to attain zero injuries. Uh, very Im- impossible. There's over 30,000 deaths on the roads every year. I try to do the speed limit or two miles under the speed limit. I got cars beeping, passing me up, passing me on the shoulder to get around me. Nobody follows the law. I was making a left turn. I was on a bicycle, and this woman goes straight through the intersection, doesn't slow down. I, unfortunately, was making a left turn and hit her front bumper. Accident. The rest of the story was just a few weeks off from work. (laughs) So I'm saying for safety reasons, there'll never be zero deaths on the road. And I just have one more comment after you uh, well, no, uh, well how how is every other state able to manage without jug handles, though? Mm. Uh, yeah, questions I, I don't do well with. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Know. Neither do I. What was your other comment, though, Joe? Other comment uh, on the political scene. There was a woman in New England. She was 89. Uh, somebody, I forget her name. She wrote a book. I saw her in Florida. Um, anyhow. Uh, she passed on, but she was walking across the USA from California to DC, and she was ninety plus, Granny something, Granny D, Granny D, Doris you know Hatter. You know her. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, no, there she was terrific. Go. She she was a big crusader for campaign finance mm-hmm. reform. That was her her issue. Yeah, she walked uh, as you said. She yep. started January first, Southern uh, in nineteen ninety nine in Southern California. And then uh-huh. walked all the way to D.C., um, which she ended her walk in February of 2000. And uh, she was an interesting lady, that's for sure. Re- really spirited and a lot of, uh, lot of energy. Mm-hmm. You can easily see uh, why she lived to be 100. Uh, exactly. Love you, Frank. And hey. you do a great show. And I hope you and Curtis uh, kiss and make up. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, I, I, again, I don't need to say the same thing about Curtis's weekend commentary that I say each and every Monday. But um, it's all shtick. Uh, nobody should think that there's any animosity between Curtis and me. Curtis and I are, are super close. Uh, it's all shtick. Don't believe a word of his complaints. Not Not one syllable... Is true. He's just having fun. Just having fun. Uh, you've known Curtis to be a jokester now and again. And I'm trying to find him. He's here somewhere. His hat is the beret and the phone are here. So he's, he's he doesn't go anywhere without he's the He's asleep on the floor in the studio next door. He is? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I didn't look on I the think floor. so. Oh, he's not no, asleep? He's not, no. Oh, did he leave? No, he's, he, he's not here, oh, but his boy. phone and his, and his beret are. All right, well, and Curtis doesn't go anywhere without that beret. Well, last time you couldn't find him, uh, he'd I'm been shot. So, yeah, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. Might have shot him again. All right, so he may have left. We, we don't know. Uh, 800-848-9222. Laura is in Brooklyn. Hello, Laura. Hi. I just wanted to make a few comments about autism sure. and the reason that it's uh, become more so. Um, first of all, the parents are very savvy about um, getting services, and they get more services when they're labeled autistic. Number two, I feel that it is a real communication deficit with these kids, and it should start in the womb. The ch- uh, the, the um, mother should be relaxed, should be communicating some way inside that womb and also at a at birth from birth establish communication some sort of com- uh, back and forth and eye contact very early on and also not to rely on videos these videos are very dangerous well, but- and these kids get hooked on them so Laura, i it- mean you know, the, they get hooked on the visualization. Well, of no, it. I agree with that. Uh, and um, uh, n- not necessarily about the, the that it causes autism, but that they do get hooked on these uh, electronics and iPads and everything. And I'm not going to Well, gonna there's be... no need for them to communicate. Right. Uh, so, but it sounds like you're saying that uh, maybe the first part of your comment, not the latter part, it sounds like you're thinking that maybe some of these parents, because they want access to additional services and things like that, they're having uh, their children essentially labeled labeled as autistic when they may not be. Is that the first yeah. part of what you're saying? Um, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. They could be developmentally delayed. They could be and having problems getting services. So they say, oh, my kid is aut- autistic. And- I mean, it, it's you know, it is what it is. But then you also do think at the same time that there are more instances of it because of the oh, communications difficulties that you're talking about. I'm thinking that more more parents are relying on these stupid videos as a, as a way to appease a child, as a way to entertain. There's nothing like communicating with their own child, even though it can be a nuisance sometimes, and and you can say some absurd, you know, the communication can be absurd, but you are communicating, even if it's a sound, even if it's anything, before the child is, is mm-hmm. labeled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura, thank you for the call. Thanks for your perspective. You know, I'd heard that that aspect, the first aspect of what Laura said, that um, Maybe uh, maybe there are some parents that, uh, again, I hate to put it this way, but almost want an autistic child so that, um, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's accesses to services or anything else. And actually, L- Laura's theory about electronic devices possibly causing autism, that is alluded to in an really interesting book by Dr. Norman Doidge. Uh, it's a wonderful book. And I've tried to get Dr. Doidge on this show, but I haven't had any luck. He is a brilliant man. He's a psychiatrist, a psychoanalyst, and uh, just a bright guy. And he wrote this book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And it's all about neuroplasticity and how you can change your brain. 
And one of his theories is has a little to do with that, what, what Laura is saying. Not so much um, videos, but uh, having a lot of these electronic devices exposed to a child at an early age. I'm not doing justice to his theory because it's been, you know, 10 years since I've read the book, but it is, it is interesting that she went there the same uh, direction that uh, Dr. Deutsch uh, went there. 800-848-9222. Joined in studio by uh, Mike Cacciapalli. Sorry. (laughs) Cacciapalli. I want to say Cacciapelli. It should be Cacciapelli. Like, that could be my celebrity name, my new name. You know what it is? I have a friend named Mike Capitelli. Oh, that's, and, that's pretty close. Yeah, and that's what That's I, pretty that's, close. My brain keeps wanting wow. to say Mike Capitelli. You say Cacciatore if you yeah, want ex- to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he comes to us from uh, the the uh, left coast, the state of California, where we have a first-time caller. We're sorry. Joe is in California. Hello, Joe. Frank, how are you doing? Uh, yes, I am, I am a first-time caller, but I've been listening to you for quite a while. My sympathy. Um, no, no, I enjoy it. I come home from work and I listen to you. But anyway, Frank, I share the same name as you. My name is Joe Morano. Are you kidding? Are we related? I, I, I don't know. I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. My family's from Bensonhurst and, and Williamsburg. You what were grew you, up in Staten Island. What, what were your parents' names? Rose and Joe. Yeah, I don't think we're related. I don't think so. Uh, any any Carmines or, or Franks in the family that you're aware of? Of course. Oh, really? Yeah, I got a few. Right. Yes. Well, maybe, maybe we my are. Father's side. Yeah. I don't know, but who knows? But yeah. No. No. I. I just want to say I enjoy your show. I listen to you out here. I'm on the West Coast here. And uh, Junior Sirico, I know him for about 45 years. Oh, really? So, so give us. A, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about him in about 10 minutes. Uh, give us. Give yeah. us. Give us a story, uh, Joe. <laughs> he's just a sharp. He's a character. I mean, I know him from uh, originally. I used to go to nightclubs in the old days in the 70s, and he was he was a legend. He used to go out. He had his patent leather shoes, sharp dresser. Uh, he played the role of a, of a real gangster back then, and all the girls loved him. Big ladies' man. Uh, he shared the same doctor as my aunt. They used to see him at a doctor's office. He used to travel with Mike Sullivan, the guy who owned Brennan and Carr. Uh, oh, really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Sid Rosenberg's oh, always yeah, that, talking about uh, the Sullivans and Brennan and Carr. Right. Hey, uh, Joe. That was his one-eyed man, yeah. Thanks for the call. Uh, stay in touch in case I ever need a, an organ or something, and it turns out that we are related. I appreciate the call. You know, I, I my my great-grandfather was, is you know, he was named Carmine, but he everyone called him Charlie. He was the first Morano in my lineage born in America. I think he had siblings. And so I don't really know what became of any of his siblings, but maybe Joe is a descendant of one of the brothers of Charlie. Who knows? Perhaps I should, yeah, I should have. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll delve into. It. Stay in touch, Joe. We'll we'll do something. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. See, in California, we're on actually at a reasonable time. You know, it's a civilized. Time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And in Nevada, for that matter. Uh, hey, this was one story that I really that made me sad, and uh, I really liked it at the same time. The Milwaukee Brewers hung a jersey in their dugout last night for Cooper Roberts, who is an eight-year-old boy, eight years old, who was paralyzed in the Fourth of July attack on this parade in Illinois at the uh, Highland Park, Illinois. So when Cooper was described in press reports as a huge Brewers fan. The baseball team connected with his family. So the jersey's number was that of, uh, um, you know, uh, Christian Yellick, but it said Roberts on it. 
So Cooper's family said he regained consciousness yesterday for the first time since the shooting and was removed from a ventilator. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Can you imagine being eight years old and he's got to spend the rest of his life paralyzed because of this this miscreant? I just I so anyway, Cooper's mother um, was shot in the foot and the leg. And, you know, she is going to need additional surgeries as well. The first thing Cooper asked about was when he regained consciousness. The very first thing was he asked about his twin brother, Luke, who was injured by shrapnel, but's recuperating at home. So I'm sorry that this boy was was shot, um, but I think it's really nice that the Brewers honored him in uh, in such a manner. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Joe in Ronkonkoma. Joe, I got quite a few questions about you all weekend long and your performance on the $1,000 Minute on Friday. Oh, really? Yes, but, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, you know? I, asked, I actually asked a few people at work. I even asked my daughter. Uh, my son got it right off the bat. He was like, South America. My daughter said Canada. I'm like, Adriana, come on, you you can't be doing this to me. Well, in fairness, I'm not sure that you're in the best position to be judging anybody else's continent knowledge. If people don't know what we're talking about, Joe um, Joe was participating in the $1,000 Minute and had difficulty recalling uh, what continent was to the south of North America. So. Well, again, I'm working. Number yeah, two, all I think good. I choked because I got nervous. Yeah, no, I, I, anyway, believe me, I've been anyway, there. Anyway, the, the reason why I'm calling Frank. This whole thing with Rudy Giuliani, I think, is ridiculous. The poor man was out there campaigning for his son. He's in his 70s. Nobody should touch anybody. I don't care how hard it was. I think Mayor Adams should shut up. Okay? Leave Rudy alone. They're attacking him because of Trump. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, No one should be touching anybody, whether it was a push, shove, punch or whatever i feel so bad for rudy he shouldn't have to explain himself and i i just keep listening to this over and over again and it's just it's wrong frank it's just wrong rudy giuliani was one of the greatest mayors that and i like you said he stole a a figure and he did a lot during 9-11 and they're just trying to discredit him and come on just let the guy he was doing something good for his son and this this shamil hits him or shoves him, or whatever, and it should not have happened. I'm sorry, he's an elderly man. You should not be – it's like my neighbor next door who's 83. I don't agree with a lot of things he does. Should I shove him on the front lawn or tap him? Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, look, I, I, I guess, you know, the, the video is what it is. The evidence is what it is. I don't think it's appropriate, really, for the mayor to be inserting himself into a criminal investigation like this. I, I said the same thing – with um, President Obama commenting on the Hillary Clinton email investigation, it just—it's almost like you're you're trying to put your thumb on the scale of uh, of justice, right? So the yep. police department works for the police commissioner who works for him, and so I mean, what kind of message does that send? If you're, you know, I mean, if 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 I was the mayor, I would say, all right, well, I'm going to let the criminal justice system play out. Whatever happens, happens. You don't have to necessarily go and insert yourself in this, and it does look like he's trying to uh, kind of score some cheap political points 
at uh, Mayor Giuliani's expense. Thanks for the call there, uh, Joe. 800 Do you have any other uh, insight on that one? Giuliani, Mike? yeah, I got to tell you, I don't think it was a big deal. Look, let's say I went up. Do you remember the honeymooners, Ralph? It's sure. good to see yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't even as hard as that. Right. As the guy would, and let me tell you something. So if I went up to Giuliani, say I saw him and it wasn't in an anima, say I liked the guy. I said, hey, Mr. Mayor, and I tapped him on the back. Would I go to jail for that? Well, see, no. no I don't b- think you would. B- but it's because the guy didn't like right. him. Yeah. I, so it's I just, the animosity uh, thing. To that, me, and I said the same thing at the time. After I saw the video, it didn't look like an attack. But um, I don't know why Eric Adams has to go out of his way to make this his, his cause that he has to go and like, like he's fighting for Gandhi, the guy that was arrested <laughs> for this. I mean, really. That's true. <laughs> uh, if you're just tuning in, Micah Chopoli is here. Uh, he is a, a podcast host, does a great podcast called And Let's Be Heard. Hey, uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to talk about the life and times of Tony Sirico. You want to comment? Uh, you can do so. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to do the $1,000 minute. We've got 15 seconds of fame coming up. Still 25% of this show to go. So those of you that think our, our best days are behind us, I think, or our best hours are behind us, I think you are you got another thing coming. All right. This is The Other Side of Midnight. In the words of the great Bob Grant, be sure to remember your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. It's uh, Frank Morano. Hey, if you heard any of Friday's show and the whole discussion that we had about James Caan on Friday morning, you could play almost 80% of it back, and it would apply to Tony Sirico as well. If you haven't heard the news, uh, Tony Sirico, who uh, was active as an actor for you know four and a half decades pretty much, and probably best known for playing the role of uh, Paulie on The Sopranos, has uh, has passed away. Now, even if you're not interested in The Sopranos, you've got to be interested in Tony Sirico because the guy was such a fascinating character. Now, a lot of people know uh, the public Tony Sirico, the actor Tony Sirico, the actor that um, made scenes like this one on The Sopranos so legendary. Amazing thing about snakes is that they reproduce spontaneously. What do you mean? They have both male and female sex organs. That's why somebody you don't trust, you call a snake. How can you trust a guy who can literally go themselves? To a geologist. Don't you think that a special will come from the Adam and Eve story? When the snake tempted Eve to bite the apple? Hey, snakes will f*** themselves long before Adam and Eve showed up to <laughs> You talk about a guy that um, was just perfect. 
for the role that he was cast in. And it's great to see the interaction with he and James Gandolfini, who, of course, also uh, passed away. And uh, uh, for those of you, um, like I do, that believe in an afterlife, I'd like to think they're reunited somewhere doing some great scenes. Tony Sirico, uh, as other people have said, I never met Tony Sirico, but I feel like I did. Because I've heard so many stories about him from people that he grew up with. As the caller last hour said, growing up and when he was a younger guy, everyone knew him as Junior. He was a he worked as a bouncer. He um, was very much a uh, legitimate tough guy and quite a criminal. He was arrested 28 times, um, disorderly conduct, assault, robbery. Uh, and then, as uh, as Mike had said earlier, he really fell in love with acting in prison, at Sing Sing Prison. So February 27th, 1970, he was arrested at a restaurant, found with a thirty two caliber revolver on him. Then in 1971, he's indicted for extortion, coercion, and felony weapons possession, convicted on all, sentenced to four years in prison, and he served 20 months at Sing Sing. And um, he was an interesting guy. Basically, what he would do as in that era is he would go to bars and clubs and he'd start a ruckus and he'd start uh, basically raising hell, starting fights with people. And you got to understand, everyone knows Tony Sirico for the last 25 years as a guy that was old. He almost he was always old on The Sopranos. But at in the. Late 60s, early 70s, the guy was a bodybuilder. The guy was in incredible shape. So um, it only it goes to show that when you have somebody like uh, the Colombo crime family that needs a leg breaker, that's somebody that they would turn to. So he becomes a fan of acting in prison. His hero as an actor, his mentor as an actor, the guy that he most looks up to as an actor as an actor was James Cagney. And if you see uh, a lot of the scenes involving Tony Sirico, you could kind of see where he's drawn some inspiration from from Jimmy Cagney. Um, he was see a lot of folks uh, say that James Kahn was a mob groupie. Tony Sirico for a lot of his life, was basically like a mobster. You know, uh, I don't know that he was ever uh, anything more than an associate, but, I mean, the guy knew every gangster in Brooklyn. The guy was, uh, in his youth, a big hellraiser and a big troublemaker, had no problem shaking down clubs and uh, strong-arming people, getting into fights, carrying a gun. The guy led a wild, wild existence and really... The role of Paulie on The Sopranos is almost based on him. Now, one of the things that um, I heard Curtis mention, it happens to be true, is he refused. The only thing that he refused to do on camera was play a rat. He refused to play a rat under any circumstances. And I just happened to listen to an interview. Uh, it was just Friday, by the way, the same day that he passed away. Matt Weiner who was a producer on The Sopranos that then um, became the showrunner for Mad Men, said that when he first joined the cast of the show The Sopranos in season four, season five, Tony Sirico walks up to him and says, hey, I'm not ratting, and if I die, you're going to die. <laughs> now, 
somebody like Tony Sirico, as intimidating as he can be, that's a pretty that's a pretty tough thing, even in his sixties at that point. So it, it, Tony Sirico, of I've been listening to this Talking Sopranos podcast. I'm going to play you some clips of it in a second. But m- more than I think, almost anybody, he's the person on the cast that folks have the most stories about because he was just such a, a presence and such a character. Yeah, I'll give you one quick example of kind of where his head was at. Right, so. Once he got out of prison, Tony Sirico was determined that he wanted to be a star. Probably as an actor, but he just wanted to be a star, right? Could have been a model, you know, and uh, could have been any number of things. So what he would do, right after he got out of prison, there was this very high-end hotel in Beverly Hills or L.A. I don't remember which one it was. But he would go there and hang out there every day. And again, you got to picture a guy that was built like a bodybuilder, and he would he would walk he would sunbathe, showing off his physique all day long, and he would have himself paged at the pool every day. He would call in advance, and he would say, at, you know, one thirty or whatever time, I want you to page Tony Sirico for a phone call. So then, you, at the prescribed time, you'd hear the announcement coming over the PA there, Tony Sirico, you have a phone call, Tony Sirico. And then Tony Sirico in this white bathing suit, which almost became see-through when it was wet, would make a point of walking the long way around the pool to the phone so that everyone could see his body and they could see that he was paged and that he was in demand because this was a big hotel for young Hollywood at the time. And look, whatever he did, it worked. It got him uh, the role of uh, of Paulie, who is just terrific. And this happens to be one of my favorite moments from Paulie Walnut. Ever go to tie your shoes and you notice the end of your laces are wet? From what? Why would they be wet? I got no f***ing idea. You go to public bathrooms? You stand at the urinal? Oh, fuck. See this on TV? I gotta watch TV to figure out the world. Your average man house is a sewer. You look at ladies' johns, you could eat maple warm and ice cream from the toilets. Eh, there's exceptions. But a men's? <laughs> Piss all over the floor. Urinals jammed with cigarettes and more ball cakes. And they can pour all the nice they want down there, my friend. It does nothing to kill germs. Even if you keep your shoes tied and you're not dragging your laces through the oven. Oh, shut the f*** up. Uh, and that was obviously a conversation that was taking place right before they uh, right before they were eating. So it's interesting. Tony Sirico auditioned initially for the role of Uncle Junior. And there was no character of Paulie. And basically, David Chase created this character of Paulie as someone that was going to be just like Tony Sirico. And he really was. A lot of similarities. Uh, they were both in prison, and uh, they uh, they have a lot of the same characteristics. Much like Paulie, Tony Sirico was very close to his mother later in life. I think when he got cast in The Sopranos, he was still living with his mother in uh, in their apartment in uh, in Brooklyn. I tell you, though, in the history of The Sopranos, I think one of the most famous episodes, and some people have said it's the best hour in the history of television, is the Pine Barrens episode, where he and Christopher just show off their acting chops like crazy. 
And it's really an incredible episode. And it's also incredible because uh, Tony Sirico allowed his hair, which he was very proud of, to get a little wild and unkempt, which is not something he ever did. Now, the the two things that Tony Sirico would always walk walk around with was breath spray, basically banaca, and uh, hairspray. So if you were ever doing a scene with Tony Sirico and your breath wasn't up to, up to snuff, he would just say, hey, come here. And he'd squirt banaca right in your mouth. And then the hairspray, well, I'll let Michael Imperioli describe the hairspray and his use of it in a minute. But um, he was such a character. And one time, you know, they would do these, even after the show ended, the cast would go mostly to casinos and do live Q&As with people. And so they're doing this Q&A, and one guy gets to the front of the line, and uh, he asks a question, and they're on a stage picture, all the cast, and he says, did you ever hear the rumor that James Cagney was bisexual, either gay or bisexual? I don't remember which one. But he says, did you ever hear the rumor that uh, James Cagney was, was bisexual? Tony Sirico just stands up and then announces... Will you get the bleep out of here? And, and he had just such a way of comedic timing. Even if he wasn't trying to be funny, it came across as funny as it did in this episode, The Pine Barrens. Hello? Hard to make connection, so I'm going to talk fast. The guy you're looking for is some kind of ex-commando or some <laughs> He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. T? T, that you? Ah, oh, damn it. I didn't hear what you said, Tone. So I'm going to talk fast. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. Get the f*** out of here. Yeah, nice, huh? He was with the Interior Ministry. Guy's some kind of Russian Green Beret. This guy cannot come back to tell this story. You understand? I hear you. Serious, Paulie. Tone? Tone, you there? I... Call me back. You're not going to believe this. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. This guy was an interior decorator. His house looked like (laughs) (laughs) I could watch that scene over and over again. It's hysterical. That episode was uh, actually directed by uh, Steve Buscemi who had, had a lot of, before he was even on the cast of The Sopranos, and he had a lot of stories about, um, about what it was like working with Tony Sirico. But when, it talks, when we talk about how Tony Sirico joined the cast of The Sopranos, he himself had a great deal to say on that front. When I went into uh, initially uh, auditioning for David, he looked at me, he said, sit there, and he, he put a hat on me. And he, the lines were, these kids today. I said, is that how you want to see? He says, any way you want to see. Anyway, I'm, I'm playing an 80-year-old man. As I put the hat back on. Son of a b- These kids today. Hmm. That happened, that's two. Three, I get a phone call. HBO is uh, deciding on three of us, me, Frankie, uh, Vincent, may rest in peace, and uh, and Dominic. I got a phone call an hour later from David Chase, who tells me, he says, uh, I, I says, uh, and he says, 
Uh, you got some bad news. You, you're not you're not playing the, the that character. I said, uh, Uncle John. Uh, Uncle John. Uncle Junior. Thank you. He says, but the, he says I, I got something in mind for you. Uh, I'm not sure. We, I, I want you on the show. I haven't decided what you're gonna do, or who you're gonna be. I said, yeah, okay, sure. I hung up. I, I don't know if he was pulling my pretzel or he was. <laughs> an hour later, he calls me up and he says, "You are Paulie Walnuts. Uh, you're on the show." Was Paulie in the script, in the original script, or he wrote yeah. it in? No, uh, 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 Dominic, uh, uh, Dominic's role, uh, the, the old man. Uncle Junior. So he created Paulie Walnuts for you. Yeah. yeah. He told me I'm Paulie Walnuts. And there you are. It. I loved it. Now, the thing that was so interesting about Tony Sirico, and he did some other things beyond The Sopranos as well. I don't think there was anything that he had more of an impact on than he did on The Sopranos. He was in Goodfellas. He was in uh, in an uncredited role, uh, The Godfather Part Two. He's in some Woody Allen films. He always clearly really enjoyed playing gangsters because that's the you know the world that he came from, the world that he knew. But I absolutely loved what he did on another one of my favorite shows a few years ago, Family Guy. Uh, I don't know if you watch Family Guy, but this is a perfect example of Tony Sirico really um, using his distinct voice and distinctive mannerisms to make a show. So the premise of the show is their dog, the family's dog, dies, and he's the new dog on the show he plays, he voices a dog named Vinny. I don't know how to choose between all these dogs. Hey, you, green pants. I hear you're looking for a dog or something. Oh, finally, someone who sounds like they went to college. Hi, I'm Peter. Vinny. Oh, Vinny, like the poo. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So what's your story? Well, you know, I'm just a regular guy. You throw a stick, maybe I bring it back. Maybe I bring back an iPhone that fell off a truck. So what do you say? You want me as your dog? Yeah, I think I do. Hey, just out of curiosity, what breed are you? Actually, I'm a hound. Really? All right. That just means I'm one sixteenth cat. Oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> uh, he was only in three episodes, but it felt like a lot more because he had quite an impact. And you know how Brian wrote Wish It, Want It, Do It? Well, I wrote a book, too. A little something called Wish It, Want It, You Blew It. Really? Yep. Let me read your next part. You wish you were a millionaire. You want more money. Guess what? You blew it. You wish you could change the neighborhood. You want to be a select man. You blew it. You wish you could open up a restaurant. You did not want to pay protection money. Knock, knock. Who's there? You blew it. You blew it who? You blew it bad. You know what the last page in the book is? A mirror. So you can see exactly who blew it being you. Uh, he was a real character, you could tell, uh, and somebody that did, you know, started on a wayward path, but certainly turned his life around uh, later in life and was really able to make a career out of just being himself and being his own personality. And I'm just going to play you one last uh, anecdote, and then I'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. And uh, Mike Achopoli is here. If he has uh, anything that um, he wants to add, you, you know, Mike, you're certainly welcome to. But um, this is from the Talking Sopranos uh, podcast, which I uh, really enjoy. I, I listen regularly, and they spend, with all the guests, as I said, a, a lot of time 
talking about Tony Sirico because he just is one of these guys that instantly draws your attention to him. He's a larger-than-life character. So this is Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, who are the two co-hosts to this podcast, talking about um, Tony Sirico and how when he was, you know, kind of a, a wild and crazy guy, one of the people that he interacted with was Jimi Hendrix, believe it or not. Tony uh, was, well, he went to jail because he was robbing nightclubs. He was sticking yeah. up nightclubs. Shaking them down. So he would shake them down. First, he would start fights. He'd bring a bunch of guys and start fights and bother people so the owners would either pay him off. And if they didn't, then he would. But before that, he was a doorman or a bouncer. Uh, there was a club in the village near Sheridan Square he worked at in the late 60s. I think it was called Sanctuary. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And he said he used to give Jimi Hendrix a wedgie. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, Jimmy lived in the village. He had his studio on 8th Street, Electric Lady, and he used to go to the club. And Tony said he used to give him a wedgie. That's hilarious. Which is really bizarre. The, well, uh, the it, image well, of well, Holy Walnuts and well, Jimi Hendrix. Is it more bizarre that when we went to see Tom Jones in Vegas... Right, you right, were there. Tom, oh, we there were all a, there. We, yeah, and we went backstage. And, Tom Jones at the MGM Grand. It was a, a tremendous show. And Great I love show. Tom. He's a really good dude. And, and he announced us from the stage. And it was Jim and me and you and a bunch of the guys. We went backstage. We had a little party. And Sirico uh, is talking to Tom. And it turns out they used to bang the same woman. Right. Tony and Tom is, said not at the same time, though. I think that was so from those club days. Uh, so, so what is more than that? Tom Jones and Tony, the broads go, the, uh, they go after the same type of guy. You know what I mean? Now, it, that's some story, isn't it? Now, uh, this is the last clip I'll play, and then we'll take your calls, 800-848-9222. This was an interesting story. Uh, you know, I mentioned Tony Sirico's obsession with hairspray. Michael Imperioli, who played Christopher on the show, and in that great episode, um, the Pine Barrens, they spend the whole hour together. This is Michael Imperioli uh, doing a pretty good explanation of what that hairspray experience was like. Uh, well, Tony was a ladies' man, apparently. You know, you know, he was he was a good-looking a, guy in his day, in great a, shape. There was a a, a a thing called Viva. It was like for women uh-huh. in the seventies, and he was a cover star in one of them. He's wearing like a uh, a one piece, like a Freddie Mercury. Outfit. Yeah, yeah, one piece. I saw and it. He's, he's he showed me those pictures. Out. Yeah, yeah, and he's like a bodybuilder. He was huge. And don't ever touch his hair, joking around. Ever, you're gonna have a problem. No, that was <laughs> that is true. Uh, they threw the mold away. I love Tony Sirico. They threw the mold away. It's one of a kind. That's it. He would spray a cloud of hairspray and then let it fall. Yeah. Not directly on the hair. I've seen it. <laughs> That's like how long it would take. I'm not kidding. I've seen it. Uh, I One of a kind. Uh, that's the uh, best description. Mike, um, anything you want to add? <clears throat> well, a couple. You know, the, I, I, James Toback did a movie. I, I, I don't recall exactly what it was, and he did a series of interviews he does one with Tony Sirico, and this is way before. This is when he was younger. I think this is like in the 80s. And it's mostly about, like, his mob days, and it's fascinating. It's kind of like Tony before he was this cultured actor. 
And I, if you look up James Tobin, yeah, it was uh, the Big Bang. Exactly, it was fantastic. I haven't seen it. It's but only that's like a fifteen-minute like yeah. short interview with with Tony Sirico. But it's, fa- it's fascinating to watch for people who want to watch. Uh, uh, no, I'm going to check that out because I've never seen that. And I think I would uh, I would really enjoy that as well. Chris is in Beth Page. Hello, Chris. So, Frank, uh, <clears throat> about 12 years ago, Rudy Giuliani was running for president. And I was invited to his fundraiser. at a, I think it was at the Sheridan. One of my buddies had tickets for it, very expensive. And he invited me along. He was nice. Uh, anyhow, we're sitting at a table. And my buddy looks over. He goes, hey. Holy Walnuts is sitting at another table over there. So during an intermission, a bunch of us got up and walked over to, to uh, get an autograph from him. And uh, sure enough, he was the biggest star there. You know who else was there? It's funny, Curtis Lewa. Ask Curtis about it. Yeah, this. I actually remember that at the time. I was working with Curtis at the time, and he had told me about it. Okay, so I swear to God, everything I'm about to tell you happened exactly as I'm about to tell you. So I go over. I'm waiting in line with my pen and paper to get Tony Sirico, Paulie Walnut, to give me an autograph. I finally get up there, and I say to him, hey, you know what my favorite scene of yours of all time in Sopranos history was? The one where you beat your mother's friend with that coffee pot? Do you remember that scene? Yeah, oh, I love that scene. It's disturbing, but it's very good. Right. I swear to God, Frank, and I mean this, he was pissed off at me. He was mad. He wasn't kidding around. He looks at me. He goes, hey. All the scenes I do, and this Mama Luke, that's his favorite scene when I beat up an old lady? He goes, what's wrong with you? I swear to God. He goes to me, he goes, what's wrong with you? And he kind of raises his hand like he was going to hit me. But then he goes, I swear to God, he goes, give me your pen. Give me the pen. And I give him the pen. I give him the paper. And he, I turn my back, and he signs the autograph on my back. I swear to God. And then I, I go, thank you, Mr. Sirico. He goes, now get out of here. I swear to God, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Chris, none of what you just said surprises me. That's hysterical. 100%. That's a great story. I love that. Um, you know, uh, my friend Gino Durante uh, used to hang out with uh, Tony Sirico at Elaine's Uptown, which closed, unfortunately, and a restaurant in Greenwich Village, which became sort of a modern-day speakeasy called Mary Lou's. And uh, he and Tony Sirico were very close and before Tony was famous, you know. And uh, he had some really interesting stories about uh, what Tony was like to go out with. Apparently, his drink of choice was generally, uh, believe it or not, white wine. He liked Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. That was his go-to drink. That's what he would drink the, the whole night. And apparently, from what I understand, his thing was always arriving at a party early. And John Ventimiglia, who plays Artie on The Sopranos, he and his wife were having a Christmas party or something. Not only does is Tony Sirico the first gets the guest there, he arrives half hour before the party starts. Now, they're not even ready. The wife's still in the bathroom getting ready. And sure enough, Tony Sirico arrives a half hour before the party because that was his thing. Rob is in the Bronx. Hello, Rob. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I got a Tony Sirico story. Um, they always wrote in the Sopranos real things that happened and they gave it to different actors and it would show up in different episodes. There was this one episode where they had um, a guy who was playing one of Paul Burke's brothers and the thing actually happened in Florida. One of whose brothers? Well, yeah, one of Paul Burke's brothers. Listen to this. And he owed money to... But who's uh, Paul Burke? 
Holberg was a, a gangster up up here in the Bronx back in the seventies, uh-huh. and he owed uh, this one guy money. And the guy got really angry at him, and he came to visit him while he was working on the house. And he said, "You got my money?" And then you know the guy told him, he says, "No, I don't got your money. I don't owe you the money because you did a bad job." The guy grabbed the letter and threw him off it. Do you know that Tony Chirico did the exact scene as if that was the situation with him as, as pulling walnuts? It was hilarious. It killed me. I did not know that, actually. Uh, that's pretty interesting, and I'm not surprised to hear that. All right. Uh, got a break. We're going to do the – if you want to comment on Tony Sirico, you can. We're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a moment. If you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222, we'll give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And if you could do that, we will uh, give you an opportunity to win some money. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Crazy horse. Uh, nobody quite like Neil Young, right? Um, he may not be heard on Spotify anymore, but we still play him on this show once in a while. All right. Uh, it's this time of the morning that we give you an opportunity to expand your bank account by answering 10 relatively simple trivia questions in 60 seconds. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to uh, Michael in The Village. Are you in the East Village or the plain old regular West Village? Village. West, West Village. Village. Okay. All right, Michael. How's your knowledge of continents? Better than that, the guy from Ronkonkoma. Okay, good. Then you're off to a good start. All right. Uh, you know the rules, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, in, uh, what continent is the United States on? North America. North America. What do the stars on the American flag represent? The individual states. What Sopranos actor passed away on Friday? Uh, Shiriko. What is the capital of Ukraine? Kiev. Who did Barack Obama defeat in the 2012 presidential election? 2012? 2012. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. What is this wrong with me here? Uh, the, uh, the the guy from Utah. Uh, it was uh, Mama. It starts with an N. Uh, shoot, I'm not. I'm not getting it. Uh, uh, 
it's, this is killing me that I can't remember that it was it was uh, 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 Mitch Mitch uh, um, uh, uh, all right Mike Romney, but, Romney. all right well we got it eventually but uh, third you know unfortunately we're out of time yeah, the, know, the answer was Willard Mitt Romney. Michael, I'm going to put you on hold, and um, and we're going to give you a, a consolation prize of some sort, okay? Okay. All right. Sorry. Willard Mitt Romney. See, he knew it, but he didn't know it. That's the thing. Um, you would have gotten that, Mike. I saw you of itching. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He did well. He knew his yeah, confidence. But, you know, when the pressure's on you, though. It's I know. Not I've thing. been there. I've been there. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's very tough. Very, very tough. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything that we've that we've talked about uh, thus far. Uh, oh, you know, I was mentioning my friend uh, Gino Durante earlier. I see we have uh, the son of Gino Durante. I hope that's okay to mention. Who also uh, is Gino in Brooklyn calling in. Hello there, Gino. What's up? Yeah, I can tell you a hundred stories about Junior um, because you know, sometimes I would be the designated driver in my younger days as he would hang out and he'd be palling out you know, on a Thursday night in the, in the downstairs bar there. Um, I can tell you one thing, you know, he did he did live with his mom in Brooklyn because I would pick him up and drop him off at the end of the night after many, many hours of bad behavior. But he was never a driver, right? Mm-hmm. He owned cars over the years for what, whatever, maybe even lost his license. You know, if I was around, I'd ask him. But um, he was a te- not only was he a bad driver, but he was a terrible driver as a boat too. Because my dad would take him fishing, and he'd be like, "Hey, look, aim for that buoy. You go out this direction. You gotta go." He would like almost drive in circles. He'd almost hit other boats, speed boats, jet skiers, the whole nine yards. You know, so it was a good reason that I that even either myself or my dad drove him around all the years. And then of course after the Sopranos, he moved to Bay Ridge and he bought a Cadillac, and everybody saw him driving around 69th Street you know, and all that. But that was after he yeah, had a little bit of success. But just keep him off the road. That's all we had to do. <laughs> hey, uh, so I, I, I remember your father telling me that uh, that he and Tony, maybe right around the time The Sopranos started, they had a little bit of a, a falling out, and they were at least estranged for, for a time. And, and I, I know your dad, obviously, and I didn't, never met Sirico, but they both strike me as, you know, personalities that can be difficult under the right circumstances. What um, Did they ever re- reconcile? That they didn't reconcile, but I can tell you the source of a lot of this. And you think about it, right? Like, as well as I, I knew Tony, he, he didn't, he, he wasn't really, you know, a thespian. You know, he he wasn't one of the grandest actors. He pretty much played himself in right. decades, right? So, and all these guys, you know, whether it was, and I'm not, not going to badmouth anybody, but whether it was Dominic Chinese or Frank Vincent, who looked apart perfectly, you know, or Vinnie Pastore, who played Big Pussy in the show. You know, these guys they all kind of vied for the same parts, right? Mm. And my dad wasn't an actor. He was a, he was a union guy. So they always kind of thought that he was a guy moving into our crowd, and they all knew each other for decades before my dad moved in. So they always kind of thought, oh, now we're going to split the pie a little a little more because, you know, my dad was trying to – was getting small parts here and there, and he was doing these little things. So there was always a lot of jealousy. And the funny part is these guys and, – and I'm not knocking them – these guys always pretended to pal around all together, but at the end of the day, they were all fierce competitors with each other, right? Think about it. They're all going for the same right. roles. They right. weren't playing, you know, King Lear, right? <laughs> they were all pretty much going for the same roles. So that created a lot of, a lot of I don't want to say animi- uh, animosity, but competition between them all. 
So, I mean, I, that's really where the, all that kind of – all that tension was, and that's where it always existed. And it still exists between these guys. Now they're not leading men anymore. They're not really playing the same parts. Even De Niro's playing elderly parts that he should probably be declining at this point in his career. Right, but that was like a source. That was a source of all that. Stuff. That, that is interesting. Uh, thank you, Gino. <laughs> I appreciate the call, and uh, give your dad you my it. best when you talk to him, please. You got it, bud. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, uh, hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. So uh, I'm living out here in Jersey, and I see that a you know Italian specialty store, a pork store, is coming. I'm all excited, you know. And I'm thinking, in, in Carney, there's not really a lot of Italians around here. But, you know, anyway, who cares? It's coming. I'm glad. I'm happy. So a couple weeks later, maybe a month later, I see that they're outside shooting scenes. I said, ah, man, it's just a prop. It's just for this show. And I'm, I see the signs, Sopranos. I'm like, what the heck is this? So I go up. I, walk, I start talking to a couple of the crew that are in between shots or whatever. And I didn't know anybody except for, uh, what's her name, Elaine Bracco? Mm-hmm. Right. She was the only I, one that was, was really only- well known before that. Yeah, so I started talking to her, and then I said, listen, I said, you know, can you guys use me in the show? They told me what it was about. I said, I, I look real Irish, you know, so I said, you, you need, like, an Irish gangster that you need to bump off? I only want one scene. You know, look at me. I look real Irish. I got the Jersey accent everything. I got everything down pat. And and Tony Sirico says to me, get out of here, kid. Just like that. They just straight up, <laughs> get out of here, kid. And then I said, oh, who's this guy? You know what I mean? But when I looked at him, I said, you know what? I better get out of here. That, it, it was great. He diff- he certainly had a presence, didn't he, Kevin? He sure did. Sure did. That, thank you. 800-848-9222. Dominic is in Brooklyn. Hello, Dominic. Yeah, how you doing, Frankie? Good. What's on your mind, Dominic? Hey. Oh, well, I just said I, I knew Sirico uh, for about 40 years. I met him first on the set of a movie, an independent movie. We did together about 40 years ago. But, you know, Sirico and Sirico, he was a nut job. And he's the type of guy you never turn your back on. Uh, that's what it guy. seems like. That's what it seems like. What movie was it that you met on the set of? Uh, One Man Jury. One Man Jury. I can't uh, say I'm familiar. Yeah, Jack oh. Polan started it. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've not seen the film, but uh, I am a big fan of uh, of Jack Plants. Were you an actor? Yeah, still am. Oh, and a screenwriter too. Oh, neat. Well, uh, so uh, any any good uh, Tony Sirico stories, be they positive or negative, that you can share? No, just that he's in that job. And, uh, that seems to be the common thread. That seems to be the common thread. Thank you, Dominic. Dennis on Long Island. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, not bad. Um, my story is not all that colorful about Tony Sirico, but uh, we'll take black and white stories as well. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I, I mean, when I heard it, I thought it was pretty funny, though. Uh, a friend of mine, who's a childhood friend of mine, actually, who's unfortunately also deceased himself since then. About 20 years ago, he bounced at a bar in the city on Second uh, Avenue and 54th Street called Sutton Place. And uh, some of the Sopranos people would go in there. So he would tell me about it. a couple times they were in there, Gandolfini and a few others. And he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like yeah, Waldus is just like the same way he can do it. He's, like, he's the same way on the show as, as he is on the show. So then he tells me, uh, he's like, yeah, dude, the one night he came in, he put his, he sat down and put his feet up. And one of the other bouncers told him, you got to take your feet down. So he did. And then about half an hour later, would you believe it? The same bouncer sees him with his feet up again. 
Oh, I would believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. This was somebody who uh, it seems like at just about any age uh, didn't didn't really re- respect authority figures. Yeah, no, no, not really. But yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. I got a kick out of that, though. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, he, is... I, 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 yeah, he was laughing too, my friends. So, yeah, oh, but... I can imagine. I can imagine. Hey, thanks, Dennis. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Rob is in New Jersey. Hello, Rob. Uh, okay, Frankie, regarding the situation between uh, Mayor Giuliani and Eric Adams, okay, I've said before, so Eric Adams needs to shut his mouth up. Does he have any opinion about that Budiga man who was well, defending himself in, in and fair, ended up in jail? Yeah, well, thank, thank you, Ralph. Yes, okay. he did speak out uh, on behalf of uh, Mr. Alba. That That is true. Uh, he did uh, speak out on that. So, hey, uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame. In just a bit, if you want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can start queuing up 800-848-9222. I I will say, so one of the things that um, I have noticed with parents of young children, and look, I'm not criticizing anybody's parenting style at all. Uh, Believe me, I am the self-proclaimed least judgmental person in the world. And, uh, you know, again, I stayed out until 645 Saturday morning from Friday night gambling. So I I am probably not the best model of what a parent should be. But what I've noticed with a lot of parents, and I'm really vowing, honestly, never to do this with my son, is these children, young ages, two, three, four, five, the parents give them these iPads and they watch these videos and play these games on these iPads. Now, I'm sure there's something to be said for children achieving a level of technical sophistication and proficiency at a young age. But I got to tell you, I mean, maybe I'll eat my words in three years and I'll be singing a different tune. I would never allow my son to a three, four, five years old, be on that iPad all day long. I mean, I know it's an easy thing, you know, to do, and that it immediately finds a way to occupy their time. I really share the concerns that some people have raised that it's not necessarily good for their development, and it's not good for their socialization skills. I mean, you want them to be able to learn how to interact with people in real life and do things that involve play that is not electronic, so I really, uh, that's my vow du jour, is that uh, there will be no iPads in the near future for young Carmine Morano. So we'll see. Uh, all right, 800-848-9222. Um, Mike, do you have an iPad? Are you an iPad guy? I have everything. You have everything? Yeah, I'm, so I you're, get, a, you're I get a gadget into, guy. I get to, you know, that kind of thing where it's a new one. I need to, I need to get it. And I have so many iPads, and I, I barely use any of them. <laughs> I just have to have them, I guess. Really? Crazy. See, I, I'm like that with radios. It's not, it's not normal. I, I keep acquiring radios. Really? Yeah. I, I have, I have at least, I think, a dozen radios. But maybe those are, more. Those are totally useless now, aren't Yeah, well, <laughs> not, not, not for hearing great radio content, right? Uh, the voice you're just hearing, if you're just waking up, is uh, Mike Kachopoli. He is the uh, host of a podcast called Let's Be Heard. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, thanks to Andy B. for that uh, delightful theme song there. Uh, by the way, if you want to queue up for 15 seconds of fame, you can do so at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. One quick thing I want to mention before we get to 15 seconds of fame is I'm on this group text uh, with a bunch of folks, um, our friends Virginia and Kevin, and uh, a bunch of folks that we're going to Cape May with in uh, in you know August. So we... Somehow the subject of hard seltzer comes up in this group text. And somebody says, in words or substance, Frank calls club soda. No, Frank calls seltzer sparkling water. Now, I immediately have to say, no, I don't. I call seltzer seltzer, and I call hard, uh, you know, sparkling water sparkling water. And then... Uh, it just so happens over the course of the weekend, I like, you know, carbonated water of all s- sorts. Over the course of the weekend, I was exposed to both seltzer and sparkling water. And people kept asking me when this conversation, and so I texted photos of both of those things to the group text. So people kept asking me when I um, w- would get into this discussion, what's the difference between sparkling water, seltzer, and uh club soda. So, because a lot of people seem not to know the difference, let me tell you, because you have no idea how often this may help you, okay? So, the most basic is just, is seltzer. Seltzer is just plain old water carbonated with added carbon dioxide. Simple as that. It's the bubbly stuff that's most likely to come flavored since it's such, you know, like a blank slate. It's so neutral. It's the base for, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, it's funny. This is not true. But my friend Kevin made up why that the fact that it's not seltzer unless it's from the seltzer region of the Catskills. Now, it's totally untrue. But I think that's a fun thing. That's a rumor that I'm trying to start. If you want to go ahead and further that rumor, that'll be kind of our show's prank for the rest of the world is getting that rumor about seltzer going. Club soda is also carbonated with carbon dioxide. But unlike seltzer, it has the addition of potassium bicarbonate and potassium sulfate in the water. So these minerals give it a slightly saltier taste than seltzer, which makes it a favorite of bartenders for mixed drinks. Then you have sparkling water, which is made with natural spring or well water, which which means it has naturally occurring minerals like salts and sulfur compounds in it. These minerals sometimes give the water a natural carbonation. Other times, carbon dioxide is added for a little extra oomph. So depending on where the water is from, it might taste heavier than seltzer or club soda. Or you may just detect some sort of presence of taste, unlike its more tasteless brethren. So it is interesting. You know, maybe we'll do a a, a sparkling water seltzer club soda taste test on the air one day. I did that on the radio with a whole bunch of different varieties of water. And you know what won the blind taste test? I had spring water. I had uh, filtered water. I had uh, whatever. Every kind of water you can imagine. Tap water. You know what one? You know what most people picked as the water that they thought tasted the best? It'll blow your mind with this because technically you're not supposed to drink it. Distilled water. Distilled water. So I've been trying to drink distilled water ever since. 
even though they're supposed to only use it for things like irons and things like that. I love it. I love it. And then I was at my sister-in-law's uh, birthday party yesterday, and she she served distilled water because they were out of the other stuff, apparently. You have a water preference, Mike? No, actually, I don't. No? Uh, you... just, no, actually, I, I don't like water, bubbly water. Really? Oh, yeah, so you it like just me. I like still. still water. That's yeah. it. I do not like bubbly But do you have a preference, filtered or, yeah. or spring or whatever? No, I, I just buy whatever bottled water is right. the okay. cheapest, but they're all, like, they're all five bucks a bottle now. They anyway, are. So. They are. Well, inflation. All right. Uh, without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. You can go ahead and dial right now, 800-848-9222. Time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of Neil on Staten Island. If you're stupid enough to go overseas and carry drugs with you, whatever you get, you deserve. Joseph in Ron Konkama. Hey, Frank, a big shout out to Frankie from Glendale. I disagree with you about the iPad. My son was on one all education and he can find South America. So good night. <laughs> Cheech in Howard Beach. Yo, cuz, since crime is up 31% in New York City, perhaps uh, the fancy mayor should go back to the old way of policing, not doing the boogaloo. 800-848-9222. Rich is in East Meadow. Good morning, Frank. Lee Zeldin, Jose Alba needs a champion. You need to step to the front and lead from the front, not from behind. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Emma in Brooklyn. Kids on the videos. Um, you ever hear about the boob tube that you grew up on? I was more of a radio guy even as a child, honestly. 800-848-9222. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, if there's a cockfight between a chicken and a rooster and the mob is running the fight, then bet on the chicken. Very sound advice. 800-848-9222. Frank is in Manhattan. Uh, Sizzle moron, sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Lewis is in New Jersey. Hi, good evening. Uh, about the uh, the turnabouts in on the New Jersey roads. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it, it's, uh, well, it, it's, it's the paving contractors. It's, you know, corruption. It's, it, uh... It's a mob deal. Everybody All right, knows. and Ralph in New Jersey. She's a really daily uh, out here in Red Bank, 100 years old, is no more. Okay, uh, bon voyage to them in the next life journey. And live long and prosper, uh, Mr. Tarela, because you deserve it. You are a hard worker, and R- you make America what they. Ralph, try as I might, I cannot disagree with a single word that you said there. Uh, mostly because I didn't understand a single word that you said, so how can I possibly... Uh, disagree with it. All right. Um, if you want to get in touch via email, you can do so. Frank dot Morano at uh, WABC radio dot com. That's Frank dot M.O.R.A.N.O. at WABC radio dot com. You can also find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M.O.R.A.N.O. Uh, or on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. Mike, do you have a, a closing uh, a closing thought before we wrap up here? I just have to promote my podcast once again. Go ahead. Be, yeah. And remember, and let's be heard. That was Bob's. Re- uh, let's be heard on Colin.com. Yes, that's it. Got Thank it. you. There you Thank go. You. All right. Hey, um, I, hopefully your week is off to a good start today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hey, I think what we're going to do tomorrow is uh, you remember the discussion we had on Thursday with um, – Logan East, that uh, that 
fella that wrote that article about Theodore Roosevelt and the Supreme Court. I think he is tentatively scheduled to join me for a full hour tomorrow. So not only will there be a lot of opportunity for me to ask a lot of questions that we didn't get to regarding the Supreme Court and Theodore Roosevelt, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, have an opportunity to take your questions as well. I got to say the feedback that I got to our previous discussion was uh, was off the charts. So I'm uh, I'm hopeful that he will come back tomorrow and that he'll be available. And we have some other interesting things uh, coming up uh, throughout the course of the week. Uh, if you ever miss this show, be sure to listen to the podcast. You can search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever the case may be. And if you're already a subscriber, then please be sure to give us a nice review, a five-star review. And if you can put on a supportive comment as well, that'll help more people discover the podcast. Right now, we're one of the most listened-to podcasts on the station. We're actually right behind Bill O'Reilly, so I'd love to beat him. So search the podcast, hit subscribe, leave a review, leave a nice comment. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. Frank Morano, good day. <laughs>